This is Monty in the Morning, the show Phoenix Magazine readers voted number one talk radio show in Arizona. Number one during your morning commute. Number one whenever news breaks during your day. And number one whenever and wherever you want to talk sports. Now it's time for Monty in the Morning. Hey, yo, man. How the heck are you? It's Monday. The voice voice is not awake yet. Hey, yo, man, how the heck are you? It is the Monty Show. Happy Monday, August 22nd, 2022. Two weeks from right now, um, it'll be Mrs. Monty's birthday. Yes. And we will be on Kona in Hawaii. Yes. And you won't. I know, you're jealous. It is what it is, right? Uh, We will be doing shows from Hawaii right here on the Monty Show. Really looking forward to that. Will we by then have a Utah Jazz, New York Knicks, Donovan Mitchell trade? Probably not. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, We have the latest update on that, and it is actually a pretty substantial update. And a question about Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith. Is Ryan Smith cash-strapped? I know it's crazy. He's a tech billionaire. But is Ryan Smith looking for money? We'll talk about that. Why isn't Cam rising in the building as a Heisman Trophy candidate? Why will he likely not be in New York when that trophy is handed out in December? I want to talk about that coming up. Porch Pirates are running crazy, and I dreamt about Manti Teo all night long. Yeah. Damn Netflix. We watched the Manti Teo documentary last night Mm -hmm. because, one, we're dumb. Right. I don't know why we did this to ourselves. I don't know. But it is crazy if you not have not seen it. So we're going to talk about that coming up. But without further ado, I want to remind you we're sending two listeners to see BYU in Notre Dame, speaking of man Titeo. Right. In Las Vegas, October 7th and 8th. <clears throat> Hello. And all you have to do is go to any of the five barbecue pit stop locations in Utah, including Layton, Lehigh, Logan, St. George, and our good friends in Murray. Make sure you stop by. There's a uh, box on the counter. It is very easy. All you do is fill out the slip, drop it in the box, and you could win. We'll announce that winner September 17th at the barbecue pit stop in Lehigh. When we are watching the uh, BYU-Oregon game, see, we're going to have a watch party. We're going to have a bunch of wings. People are flying in <clears> to come <throat> to the watch party, by the way. Just yeah, saying. how about that? How about how about Lopes fan Gabe? Yeah, he Telling is us going he's to be coming attending. in. That's going to be great. It's going to be a party. We are going to have such a good time at that party. It is September 17th at the Barbecue Pit Stop in Lehigh. We're going to have wings, pizza. We'll have all kinds of stuff. All the best smokers because that's what you get when you go to Barbecue Pit Stop. But without further ado, let's get you caught up on the very latest in my grovelly voice (laughs) of the Utah Jazz and the New York Knicks trying to get a Donovan Mitchell deal done. Now, as I told you last week, the likelihood of this deal being done before before September 1st is not likely. And I only say that because Patrick Beverly is on hold. Um, He cannot contractually be traded until the end of August, so about another 10 days. 
I think that is the earliest from what I've been told that this trade could go down. But Friday into Saturday, we got new news about what the Jazz and the Knicks are doing. And they are looking for a third team because the Jazz and the Knicks have agreed that they can't make this deal on their own. And the reason they can't make this deal on their own is because Danny Ainge has held firm on his asking price. And Jake, I think Danny Ainge has done a very good job of sticking to his guns here and not taking less than his original asking price for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that Danny Ainge is, is, is doing his job here. You know, I think that a lot of executives around the league would have, um, you know, compromised, if you will. They would have given in, if you will. And, and I think Danny has done a great job on that, as I've said many times in the past. But I think what's interesting is just, you know, what we see, you know, what we see and hear about this trade versus what we see and hear, you know, from Donovan Mitchell and his camp and like the videos he's putting out. And I think a lot of people are, are noticing the fact that Donovan Mitchell seems, you know, as happy as one could be during the offseason, you know, putting in his work, playing in pro-ams, doing all that, but then he's on a boat with a with a DJ set having a great time. Like, Donovan Mitchell is just doing him, you know, and I think that Don is in a place where he understands no matter what uniform he's wearing, he has to come out and have one of those years. He's got to have a career year, uh, you know, a make-a-point kind of year. And so for Donovan, I don't think that this whole dynamic that a lot of people bring up of, like, Don being annoyed or 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 somehow perturbed or unnerved or whatever, feeling a negative type of way about this trade conversation. I don't think that exists. I think Donovan understands uh, exactly what's happening here, which is, you know, people are calling Danny Ainge and, and saying, hey, what would it take? And Danny's giving him a certain price and he's not going to come off of that. And I think and I honestly think that Donovan Mitchell is okay with that. Donovan understands, hey, this is a business. If someone wants to give you some ridiculous yes. price, then I'm cool with that. It's fine. You know, I don't think that this is a situation where Donovan is salty or upset or anything like that. And that's why I say, you know, and have been saying for, for Danny Ainge, there is no rush. There is no, like, force pushing him to make this deal. So when we hear, hey, they need to add a third team, to get this deal done, my reaction to that was, yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense because what does that tell us? Danny's not coming off the price. The Knicks, you know, understand that they can't pay seven first-round picks or whatever in players to get this deal done because that leaves them nowhere to go. So the natural path is a third team. I don't think this really changes the situation at all. I just think this is what they've been working to for, you know, however long this has been going on now, six, eight weeks. Well, <clears throat> I think, excuse my my voice this morning, I think um, what is pretty clear is they need a third team here. I think this makes a lot of sense. I think I agree with you 100%. I don't think the Jazz are desperate to trade Donovan Mitchell. I think if they had their druthers, they probably would not. But I don't think you can walk away from the kind of compensation that they are you know, potentially going to get if they make a Donovan Mitchell deal. And, you know, frankly, I think so much has been written over the last week that just isn't true. And you hear so many rumors and you hear so much innuendo mm -hmm. about who called who. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? They have talked regularly. You hear all this rigmarole about how they didn't talk for a month. I can tell you that's just factually not true. We've reported since this first came out, which I think, Looking back at the channel, we first talked about this on the 6th of July mm -hmm. that they, you know, the Knicks have been calling the Jazz for over a year on Donovan Mitchell. This is not new interest, right? 
But the thing that I think is very clear is that the Jazz and the Knicks have had very, very deep, long conversations about how in love they are with each other making a Donovan Mitchell deal. Right. And that they they realize, hey, there's a deal to be done here. Yep. But the right structure is likely not in place for a one-to-one deal. Yeah. That much is very clear because Leon Rose is not giving up six picks. I thought it was pretty funny over the weekend that the New York media jumped on you know, a report that said, oh, Danny hasn't come off his his original trade demand and the Knicks are frustrated. And <laughs> we've been reporting that for over a month yeah. on this show that the Knicks were frustrated. There's no doubt about it. Danny Ainge has never acquiesced off of his demand for six first round picks. Danny Ainge has said from the jump, Grimes has to be in this deal. Well, the thing is, the Knicks have said, we're not giving you six first round picks. <clears throat> and we're not giving you Grimes. Right. And I think that's why you have to find a third team. I don't know who that third team's going to be because, frankly, I don't see that teams like the Lakers, who I know have tried to get involved in this Donovan Mitchell deal, in that they'd like to be the third team. The Lakers have nothing to offer. Facts. They, they're not going to give up their two future first-round picks because they want to make a Kyrie Irving deal. So... They just, I mean, Talon Horton Tucker is not pushing anybody over the line. That's the thing that stands out to me most here is, I think it's going to be really difficult to find a third team to complete this deal. Yeah, and why would the why would the Utah Jazz take on the responsibility of buying <clears throat> Russell Westbrook out? Because certainly he would have to be involved in this situation. So to me, the, the, what's happening right now is Leon Rose is having to go around the league and call teams and see who who has what and and who might be interested and you know whatever he's he's doing the legwork to see if he can find a third team. But yeah, teams like the Lakers or, or teams like you know the Celtics or any of these teams that are are contenders every single year and are really tight as far as cap space is concerned and money is concerned are probably not going to be viable options. You need to find a team that. You know, I'm not saying they got to be a bottom feeder, but they have to have some flexibility. They got to have some value. And usually what that looks like is a mid-table or lower-table team. That's what those teams have. They have capital to do some deals. So it'll be interesting to see how this comes together, but I just thought it was really interesting that, as you said, that the New York media kind of rode this train of like, hey, Danny pissed off Leon Rose, and that's why they stopped talking, and there's all this drama, when really there's not a lot of drama. They have been talking for like a year, like this is not something new, and now we're evolved into, hey, we need a third team. Well, and furthermore, I would say this goes back to the trade deadline. Certainly, I, I mean, in January, I, I was told the Knicks – um, really started pushing for a Donovan Mitchell deal. Um, they wanted to get that deal done at the deadline. I the Jazz simply haven't had an appetite to trade Donovan. And I think they had been committed, as we had told you back in December, they had been committed to building around Donovan Mitchell. They had been committed to trading Rudy Gobert's contract, building around Donovan Mitchell. And frankly, I don't think that has changed. Yeah. The only thing that's changed here is that Leon Rose was willing to put in substantially more capital, both in draft picks and in humans. And I think the frustration comes in when Danny H just isn't a, a guy that's fun to negotiate with. 
He is a very difficult negotiator. Danny's notorious for that. And multiple people around the NBA have told me, hey, this deal's not close. And I want to make that very clear. This deal's not close today. I think as the next 10 days go on, that's when you're going to find out how much Leon Rose is willing to pay for Donovan Mitchell. Mm -hmm. If If he is able to put together a package, and this is on Leon Rose, by the way, if, if Leon's willing to do the work to go out and put together a package, I think this deal's done. If, if you can get Danny Ainge a minimum of four first-round picks, and they're going to have to be unprotected. It, it's not a thing where it is qualified or you know top 10 protected. No. Yeah. These are four unprotected first-round picks, two more first-round picks to go with that, and I think you're going to have to find him a young star. You're going to have to put a guy like a Quentin Grimes into this deal. And if it's not Quentin Grimes, it's going to have to be somebody else's Quentin Grimes. Yeah. And that's why I say a third team is going to be very difficult to come by here. Because if you look at the teams that you have have heard about, and and whether that be Toronto, I mean, the guy you want in Toronto is Scotty Barnes. And and by all accounts, Kevin Durant is not getting Scotty Barnes. Y'all feel me? I don't see any way that Scotty Barnes is a chip that comes from a third team to finish a trade. That makes no sense whatsoever. So you start looking at a Washington who we've heard about. Washington as a third team is interesting, but does Kyle Kuzma put the cherry on top of a Donovan Mitchell trade? I just don't think he does. And the reason I say that is not that Kyle's a bad player, but he's wildly inconsistent, and you know who he is as a player, and he is paid. That's the other thing here. And it brings you back to this conversation about R.J. Barrett. What is the appetite of Danny Ainge and the Utah Jazz to outlay cash on a guy like an R.J. Barrett who is eligible for a a max extension on his rookie deal? Mm -hmm. The answer is I don't know. And I I have been told routinely that the Jazz don't want to pay R.J. Barrett. And I think if the Jazz are going to take R.J. Barrett, I don't think that means that they're willing to pass on a Quentin Grimes. I, in fact, think that if you're taking R.J. Barrett and you're Danny Ainge, I think you're not holding on to him long-term. In fact, I think you would have to have Quentin Grimes in that deal. So the Jazz and the Knicks have progressed to, hey, we know we can't do this deal 1v1. We need to add a third team. Yeah, And I think they are both like-minded in that. I think that if Danny can get you know, six first-round picks, four unprotected, this deal's going to happen. If Danny cannot, this deal's not going to happen. It just makes too much sense for the Jazz to hold on to Donovan Mitchell, and it makes no sense at all for the Jazz to sell low on Donovan Mitchell, let's say three first-round picks. Is three first-round picks really, you know, replacement value for a guy in Donovan Mitchell that most people believe is going to come out and have a 30-point season? Well, and then who is who is he for the Utah Jazz? I think that's the other thing here that's important. You know, who is... Donovan Mitchell to the Utah Jazz. I got news for you. He's very important, right? Like Donovan Mitchell is the only thing you have going for you in, in, in current day. It's not like, you know, some of these other teams that have. Like, you know, if, if we were talking about Jalen Brown, you could say, yeah, hey, three first-round picks is fine because you have Jason Tatum. The the Utah Jazz don't have another Donovan Mitchell. So that's, that's why it's got to be four unprotected. That's why it has to be six overall and a couple of players because you're asking the Jazz to give away their crowning jewel of a player so that you can go and do what you want to do but I'd also say that it's it's not it's it's not good business 
uh, by the Knicks to do this deal on their own. And I'm glad to hear Leon Rose saying that. Like, it doesn't make sense for us to give up the farm to go and get Donovan Mitchell when we know we're going to need more to go and contend for an NBA championship. So I, I, I think the Knicks also deserve credit here for, for, for being smart and not taking that big jump when that big jump only gets you so far, which is what you've been saying for yeah. a while now, you know? Well, I just... I'm very much a realist about players in this league. And my honest opinion on Donovan Mitchell is he's a superstar in the making, but he's not winning the Knicks a championship with the way that team is currently constructed. Yeah, And I know we've talked about this at length, but Donovan Mitchell, if you take away a Quentin Grimes, if you take away an RJ Barrett, either one of those two, Donovan Mitchell doesn't bring you a championship. I don't know even if you add Donovan Mitchell to that team with R.J. Barrett and Quentin Grimes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Julius Randle really is the odd fit there. But in that group in total, that's not a championship caliber club. Yeah. So it doesn't make a lot of sense, as we said last week, to give away four first-round picks. Then they have to go and make another trade on top of that where you're going to give away the rest of those assets. It it just doesn't make a lot of sense to overpay for a guy in Donovan Mitchell who very much is at a tipping point in his career and you don't want to be the proving ground on on the wrong side of it. That's too much like Isaiah Thomas ran the Knicks. Yeah. Right? So if you're the Knicks, you don't want to do that deal. If you're Danny Ainge, I think you, you are in a position where you know you don't have to trade Donovan Mitchell. You know that he's a guy that with what you got in return for Rudy Gobert – and what you're going to get in return for Boyan Bogdanovich, and my my sources tell me they are absolutely trading Patrick Beverly. If you are able to get return on those guys, you're in a position where a year from now, you can be competing at the top of the Western Conference. So there is no urgency, which is the other problem in this deal. There's no urgency for either side mm -hmm. to make this trade happen. So I know that fans tend to obsess over, well, you called him or he called you or, hey, who's going to win this trade? That's every day. There is no winning this trade. Somebody's going going to lose. And in my estimation, when this trade gets made, and I, I think there is, I, I move to the more likely percentage of 65-35, this trade does not happen. I think 65%. Donovan Mitchell stays with the Jazz. And I can tell you, Jazz sources have told me repeatedly they are planning to have him at training camp. They are operating under the idea that Donovan Mitchell is going to be in training camp with the Utah Jazz. That's a win for the Jazz. That's not a loss for the Knicks. They still have 86 million first-round picks. <laughs> they still have all that young talent. Nobody needs to make this trade. Nobody needs to make this trade. Understand that that's an important distinction to make. You you take such a risk when you send out this kind of bounty for a guy in Donovan Mitchell who, frankly, I think is in a prove-it year. Yeah. This is an incredibly important season for Don. A year from now, I'd be much more willing to trade four first-round picks for Donovan Mitchell. I'm not so willing to do that now. That's yeah. just... That's yeah. kind of where I come down on Yeah, it. and I think that's fair. I, I absolutely think that's fair. And I think that, you know, again, we all expect Donovan Mitchell to come out and do great things, but he's got to go and do those great things first. And and that's a very important uh, distinction. And I think that, that that's that's why this is taking a long time. because This is why? Th this is why, um, at the end of the day, um, with all due respect, 
This is why it's taking a long time. Well, let's see. Is Kurt Meyer? Oh, Kurt Myers is the first one in today. There you go. See? Oh, it's not Kurt, though. It's Steve Peterson. Steve Peterson. Steve not Peterson. Not to slander you. Right, Kurt. right. Uh, Tanner Plummer says, good morning. Uh, Spencer D says, saw, dude. Spencer D. He's the Sadu <laughs> guy. Hey, there's Steve Peterson with all due respect. Steve. Uh, Spencer D says, how's the, how's the cut going? I'm working out while listening to the show. Dude! I got to tell you, cut's going great. All new uh, low time wait for me on Saturday uh, morning, which I was thrilled about. I only weigh myself once a week. And frankly, the other thing I did when you're trying to lose weight and you're cutting and we're going through this casuals getting cut. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things that, that I did over the weekend that's very dangerous is I went clothes shopping because mm. we're going on this trip to Hawaii. Dude, it was awesome. I pulled out a bunch of clothes out of my closet that have, have not fit in a long time. They're all like, they're huge on me. Like I have these really nice camouflage, like camo cargo shorts that are just so comfortable. Yes. They, they did not fit anymore. And so when I picked up the, uh, during the pandemic, I gained like fifteen hundred pounds. Most of it was co- <laughs> most, uh, honestly, most of it was cock weight, but it's fine. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> the point is, I put those cargo pants uh, back on and they fit great. I'm I was they, they actually were too big. I need I'm to wear a belt real. with those, so I was super excited about that. Mm-hmm. So the cut's going good. How is the cut going for you? No, I'm still fat. I'm yeah. fat. You yeah. know, I uh, yeah, I'm fat. M. M. Alvarez says, good morning. Uh, Dave Heath says, good morning, fellas. Uh, Connor uh, Tulin says, episode. Okay. He says, here comes the we told you RJ was involved episode. I don't know if RJ Barrett's involved or not. Why would would this be the we told you RJ was involved episode? I, I don't understand where that's coming from. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think we've been pretty consistent that the Jazz... The Jazz are out on two players. The Jazz are out on Julius Randle. They have made that very clear, unequivocally. The yeah. Jazz have no interest in in Julius Randle. And the only hesitation the Jazz have with R.J. Barrett is they got to extend him. <coughs> and I, I don't know. One of the interesting conversations is the situation with Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith did something that was very interesting on Friday. Mm-hmm. He added a, a minority owner, a silent partner, mm-hmm. to the organization. Now, they say that this was to help Ryan Smith and his group bring another professional franchise to Utah. But I'm not sure that I'm buying that. Mm-hmm. Hear me clearly on this. I do not think that Ryan Smith is struggling financially. I do not. I have no... I've been told that they want for nothing, um, that the Jazz are are thriving financially. Okay, that's great. But one thing is very clear. The company and the silent partner, it's not like Jimmy Bob from Tooele kicked in $50 million and he's a silent partner. Mm -hmm. The details on this company that Ryan Smith added as a silent partner are kind of interesting, Jake. Yeah, so the name of this company is uh, Artos Sports Partners. Their managing and controlling members are based in Texas. They went to TCU. You can find them on their website. But but what's more interesting, just the first thing that's on their website, like I'm not talking about going digging through their website. The first thing on their website, this is their message. Quote, providing thoughtful liquidity and structured growth capital solutions to sports franchise owners. Notice it doesn't say, 
hey, we're we're trying to you know buy you know shares so we can start new teams or we can grow markets. Notice it doesn't say that. What does it say? Again, providing thoughtful liquidity and structured growth capital solutions to sports franchise owners. Okay. Hey, maybe that's just me reading too much into that, right? So then what do I do? On their website, they have a bunch of tabs like every website does. I go to their strategy tab just to see like, hey, like how do they operate? What are they trying to do? And under, they have four sections to the strategy tab. On one, of the, one of the sections is named attractive opportunity. Under that, you've got two bullet points, one of which says opportunity to provide liquidity and growth capital to a historically inefficient market. So when I read that, combined with what I read first on the homepage, that says to me, hey, we're looking for markets that aren't big yet. And we're looking for opportunities to give owners in those small markets, if you will, more operating capital by bringing them liquidity. So no, Ryan Smith isn't struggling for money, but my opinion is based on this and based on what we heard and based on the fact that you're bringing in the UFC and you're doing more events and everything is that, hey, you have this valuation. You are a billionaire. You have this money. Money's not your problem. Liquidity is your problem. Yes. That's your issue. Your money's tied up. It's not flexible right now. That is what I think is going on with Ryan Smith. That is what I think the whole point of this Arctos sports management thing is, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a it's something to watch very closely because I think it is smart business to always be liquid as possible. I think everybody agrees with that. But I also think it's smart business to get your financial house in order and you just traded the largest contract you have on your books. You didn't do a TV deal. This uniform launch didn't go off as you had hoped. I'm just interested to see how is the money going to be spent mm -hmm. over the next 18 months. Let's really – and I know 18 months seems like a long time. In financial circles, it is not. Let's really pay attention to how Ryan Smith and the Utah Jazz go about their business. And I think I, I'm from what I understand, there's a you know some pretty major business announcements coming from the Jazz here over the next probably four weeks. Yeah. That are that are going to be interesting. And we'll see exactly how all of that plays out. But I don't think that Ryan Smith is in financial trouble. But I got to tell you, I've heard it from three, four different NBA sources wondering why, you know, several different things were done several different ways. Yeah. And maybe this, maybe this explains it. I think it's exactly right when you look at Arctos and you look at their philosophies and their, their stated modus operandi and the way they do business and where they spread their cash around and how it's to be used. Thoughtful liquidity and structured growth capital solutions to sports franchise owners. Which is not to say bringing another professional franchise to to Utah. That I don't know that those two things work together. Did you inject cash into this group so that the group could afford a MLB expansion franchise, an NHL expansion franchise, to build a new arena that could house hockey and basketball, to build a new stadium that could house a Major League Baseball team? That doesn't seem like a cash injection would quite get that done. No. That's not what this sounds like to me, right? So if I look at Arctos 
and I look at the way they do business and I look at Ryan Smith and I look at where he is, I mean, he's got a minority interest in RSL. You know, he's got, I just, it, something it doesn't, doesn't add quite up. add up. Dude, it doesn't yeah, add up exactly. to bringing another sports franchise here, which is what, you know, everyone in the media was saying, oh, well, he sold his share so that they could bring a baseball team here or whatever. And that does not make sense to me. It just doesn't, like, in the, in the current climate with where things are at, you don't, look, you don't go out and, and buy an NBA franchise and then on top of that, buy a minority share in RSL, then to go and expand into a third team uh, or a third opportunity, you know, what, a year and a half, two and a half years in, like, young into your ownership of that NBA team? Because when did he make his RSL inject? When did he buy into RSL? Several months ago now, it seems like. So, are you telling me this at another professional? January 6, 2022. Yeah, okay, so six months ago. Yeah. Eight months ago now. Yeah. So, are you telling me that you just started thinking about here in the last two, three months, adding another professional sports franchise to Utah? The math doesn't add up here. Yeah. The timeline doesn't add up here, and I think this is something to watch very quickly because one thing that we know, Ryan Smith is not dumb. No. Ryan Smith is an operator. He is a calculated businessman. And I'm curious. I don't feel like this is a thing where he's over leveraged. I feel like something else is happening. And, you know, the other thing that stood out to me, and again, I'm not trying to go down the rabbit hole here, but this was one other thing that really stood out to me on the homepage of Arctos's website. It says, you know, our, our mission is to partner with owners and leagues to increase liquidity and financial flexibility for ownership groups using a collaborative thought partner approach so hey we're not gonna we're not gonna come in and dictate to you how to do things but we are gonna give you advice based on what we see and based you know based on what you're asking us to do and how much liquidity you're looking for so that's why i say i it's not as it where the conversation isn't hey is ryan smith broke or is ryan smith somehow in financial trouble that's not the conversation the conversation is, why does Ryan Smith need more liquidity right now? What is he trying to do with that liquidity? That That's the conversation. And to me, you know, it's interesting timing with the All-Star game coming. You're spending all this money. It makes me wonder, is, is, is there a plan where, you know, you didn't have it necessarily in your budgeting, I guess, for the All-Star game, and that's why you need liquidity? I, I don't know, man. It's all speculation. But my point just is, is this is not about adding a team to Salt Lake. This is about Ryan Smith and this and this ownership group has a goal for what they're trying to do, and they wanted to add liquidity to accomplish that goal, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I think that Ryan Smith is a calculated guy. He is yeah. a he's a Utah through and through. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see to see what happens. Uh what's up, brother? Brother says I agree with your comments if I'm a jazz fan, but I'm a Knicks fan and I don't know what happens next, and I feel sorry for them. They need to figure out between the trade and and we trust and that it would be perfect. I don't know what you mean. Uh, Tanner Plummer says, are the Knicks fan? I, I Tanner. Okay. Tanner's stirring the drink now in the hey comments. Okay. Cash out, James. Good morning to you, Mr. E. The Jazz having cap space means nothing. No one is signing with Utah. Donnie, please. Do we really have to explain this again? Well, the one thing we didn't touch on with the Ryan Smith thing, and this comment kind of plays to it, is Salt Lake a major market? You know, is Salt Lake a major metro opportunity? Oh, I think it is for sure. I think one of the things that we know is that one of the reasons 
that players like playing here is because there are big business opportunities. I mean, there's, there is no doubt about that with Silicon Slopes here, with the billions of dollars in tech that are here, like the apps, the gaming world. Adobe! You know, like being able to buy, you know, esports teams and yeah. all of the things that we've seen athletes come to Utah to do. I mean, there's definitely opportunities here. I think there's no doubt that they're, you know, the best way to get talent here is to trade for players. There's no doubt about that. But when you look at no one is signing in Utah, like, I mean, I it, disagree just, with that. it just shows how naive cash out James and, and people outside of Utah are. I think that's it. I think that's very clear. Uh, Caleb, good morning to you. What's the obsession with Quentin Grimes? Well, the obsession with Quentin Grimes is he's a hell of a young player. And he's really talented. And if you're giving up Donovan Mitchell, you need a young stud back. Yeah, I think that's for sure. Yeah. That's for certain. There is there is no doubt about that. CAA Mafia says, what star of Mitchell caliber um, stars Pat through a rebuild at the age of 25? Okay. No one. A spider will make it known closer to training camp. That what? If you're if you're inferring that Donovan's going to demand a trade, you're crazy. That's just not. There would be no reason for him to do that now. His his value is low. His value is not high. So demanding a trade when you're low makes very little sense. Why did Kevin Durant demand a trade now? Well, because one, he's got value, and two, he wants to win championships. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell's at a completely different place. Donovan Mitchell doesn't have a ton of value right now. And Donovan Mitchell has to prove that he's a star in this league. So the idea that now would be the right time for him to to do that is nah. is crazy. I mean, it's just not, it doesn't matter. Uh, Brother says, I know that the Jazz will probably agree to trade Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks. Besides the third team will be a perfect fit, could be a perfect to rebuild and trust the team. I, I just don't, I, I, the problem is, the problem is, you can't go to New York and expect to win a championship with the Knicks. I, I just don't see, you're not, if you're the Knicks and you make a Donovan Mitchell trade, and I know I just said this, but not to be redundant, you're not winning a championship. Yeah, and they've all but said that as well. I mean, they, I, mean I mean, it's been well known that they're, that's why they don't want to trade all, the, all, like the whole farm to get Donovan Mitchell yeah. because they know they got to make another deal. Uh, Scott Howard says, I may sound like I'm whining, but my passion for the NBA is as low as it's ever been. Player moves teams so much in malcontents like Katie and Harden. Why care about a team that doesn't care about themselves? Well, I, so I think that this, the, the, you know, burnout factor is real in the NBA yes, right now. Is. I mean, I, I think we've had, you know, your 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 point there uh, was Scott. I think is well taken. Like I think that that you know the the Durant thing has a lot of burnout. I, I mean, I hell, I, I'm burned out on it. I, I mean, I've been saying. I mean, frankly, we've had probably, man, probably close to 10 conversations this offseason about how like we need something to happen we need some movement like Kevin Durant and, and really Danny Ainge kind of wrecked the trade cycle in this offseason with the Gobert deal I would agree and then with you, that and then you combine that with the Durant stuff like it yeah there is a lot of burnout and I, and I think you know so you take what's happened now and you stack that on top of the bubble and then you know just everything that's sort of transpired it it, it just brings this sense of like damn like these guys are getting paid like hundreds of millions of dollars to play basketball 
Like, why do they always have to be upset and be malcontents? I totally get why you feel that way, man. The good news is uh, college football kicks off in, what is it, eight days or whatever it is or seven. I can't remember the number, but but that's the good news. That's the silver lining here. Yeah. Um, Kenai Johnson, good morning to you. He says, so if the Jazz do get RJ and have to extend him, what's the number you think? Because it sounds like RJ is is in a prove-it year also. I don't Is RJ in a prove-it year? Um, I mean, I think when you're his, what, what did we say he was? 22. 22. I mean, when you're 22 and you're trying to get a max and you're trying to do things in the league and make noise, I think you're already averaging 20 points a game. Like, I, I don't know that you're in a prove it deal. I think you're in, but you're in your growth curve. You're in this place where you have to continue to get better. Like 20 points a night, no longer is good enough. If you're RJ Barrett, just with where you want to go, but, like, but the Knicks, the Jazz, whoever, somebody's going to give him a max extension. There's, yeah. there, I mean, that's not even a doubt. This is the DeAndre Ayton conversation. DeAndre yes. Ayton is not well liked, you know, but he can he he's in hell, a hell of an offensive player. And so look how the Suns handled that. They made him go and hit free agency before they would sign the qualifying sheet. So that's why I say, like, it, it, someone's going to pay him. You're exactly right. I just don't think that Danny Ainge wants to be laying out that type of capital uh, in their process, and that's why I would agree with that. That's why this whole thing about Knicks fans being pissed off that we said that RJ was was not you know great for the Jazz, and that RJ isn't an elite player yet. Like it's not that we hate RJ Barrett, but you just have to look at the Jazz situation and understand that paying him a max extension just doesn't make sense. Yep, I would agree. Rhett Smith says I think Ryan Smith making this deal is attractive to MLB, NHL, or NFL by saying I have the money to build world-class facilities. Well, the way you do that is you build world-class facilities. And I think it'll be interesting to see like the cash injection that Ryan Smith is going to get from the NBA and is getting from the NBA to improve the the you know, Vivint Arena for the All-Star game. I mean, that those are upgrades that are yeah. happening there, right? So, cuz the NBA comes in and they they essentially say, "Okay, if you want the All-Star game, we need to have X, Y, and Z in your building." And so they inject a little bit of money. The Jazz inject a little bit of money and the building gets an upgrade. The question is, is the money that Ryan Smith got from Arctos, is that build an NFL stadium money? Is that build an MLB stadium money? Because we're talking about billions of dollars to do that. Yeah. And that we're talking about billions in dollars of debt load to do that. If I'm Ryan Smith, am I really looking to take on more debt? I'm probably not. Not yet. And my guess is maybe the only thing that makes sense is if he's doing this for something down the road. If that's why he's doing this. It, it this I, I I think there's so much we don't know mm-hmm. because Ryan's not talking. Because it's all part of the plan. And I think that's why he's not talking. Yeah. You know. Avery Forbes says, what could a Westbrook uh to the jazz trade look like? I don't I still maintain that that's not an option. I mean, you, Russell Westbrook doesn't have a home on the Jazz roster. No. He just doesn't. He'll not. never put a Jazz jersey on. In any way, shape, or form. I mean, if you're trading for Russell Westbrook, you're buying him out. And does a team that's looking to, you know, if, you know, is it a team that could be cash trapped looking to buy out Russell Westbrook? No. Ah, uh, that doesn't make a lot of but sense. But you see me. what I mean. Like, whether it's Westbrook or RJ Barrett, like these certain players that don't really fit into what the Jazz are trying to do, that's why the deal is taking its time. It's not that... I think we've graduated from Danny's asking for too much to, hey, how are we going to get this done? And that's what I think the conversation is. That The the conversation has changed a little bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think one of the more interesting things 
we need we need three weeks. Give me three weeks. And I think in when this deal goes down, our reaction to it, I think will be very interesting. Because I don't see a whole lot of scenarios where where I positively react to a Donovan Mitchell trade. Unless it's an absolute landslide. And I just think I've heard too much good about Leon Rose to believe that Leon's paying six first-round picks. Mm. I That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't. Uh, Steve Johnson says, I still hold that once I heard the Millers sold the Jazz that they could be on the way out of Utah. Not in the near term, mind you, but it still didn't give me a warm feeling. Ryan Smith is not selling the Jazz. He is not moving the Jazz out of Utah. That would be that would be the shocking, stunning. Uh, it, it, and by the way, what NBA owners approving that? Yeah, like, you look at the situation when Sacramento tried to leave, and they tried to relocate to one of a thousand places with the crap bag Maloofs, <laughs> and you look at the the swell of support. And the fan base and the noise that was made there. And they ultimately were not allowed to move that team. There would be, like, do fans in Utah support the Jazz? Oh, my God. Overwhelming. Remember, they're second in the league in viewership just behind the Warriors. They watch games. They come to games. They buy things. They spend their money on the team. I mean, there's no... There's, it's not like nobody shows up. It's not like there's not a population here. Yeah. It's, I mean, there, you, you have no argument to say that the, the jazz need to be moved. And by the way, Ryan's a Utah guy. Remember that? I mean, I I just, there's no way that happens. Yeah. There's just, there is just no way that happens at all. Uh, Tanner says, speaking of RSL. All right, let's move on. Um, (laughs) Ruff's official says Smith owns a profitable business. He bought the Jazz, the Bees, and a stake in RSL. He is also looking to buy another pro team. I doubt he's hurting financially. I don't think he's hurting financially. Again, be really clear on what we said. Be very, very, very clear on what we said. We didn't say he was hurting financially. We never said that. No. What I'm saying is that when you bring in liquidity, that tells me. This kind of liquidity. Yeah, like when you go third party and you're trying to bring in some liquidity, that tells me you're trying to do something and it doesn't fit in necessarily with with where your financial assets are right this second. So meaning, not that he's strapped, but liquidity versus something being held up by a current deal that you're in. Okay, well, if your cash isn't liquid, that means you can't do something. So you're going to partner with people because, hey, Ryan Smith is a tech billionaire. Just not sure if you're aware of this. He knows people. You're going to partner with some people to get it done. But this Arc- the Arctos thing. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense that that's to buy a third professional team. Yeah, that doesn't add up to That me. doesn't – because, you're, man, it is billions of dollars. Yeah. It is. And and, and I'm happy to – like, so here's I the think thing. the – yes, go ahead. So my thought – so as far as a third team thing is concerned, that that just that concept around this this cash influx, this liquidity piece. So you're telling me that you went to a third party a company in Arctos to get what? Four billion dollars, probably. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's what we're talking about for a third team. You're talking about like three, four billion dollars. So, okay, well, Ryan's not going to do it alone. Ryan's going to partner with some people to start a new team. Okay, I could kind of see that because then, hey, you'd only need 
I don't know, a billion dollars probably if you're Ryan Smith. You know, to be a, to be a full share owner, you need just over 50%, obviously. So you would need, you know, a certain number. But that's why I say it's kind of a stretch to me to think that Ryan Smith would want to go that path with owning something new. Like, Ryan Smith is not a guy who, when he wants to control something and own it outright, he goes and gets money from someone else to pay for what he wants to do. That doesn't make a lot of sense. You, you, What you would do in that case is you would own the Jazz for probably five to seven years before you started laying out that kind of cash. So that's why I say the third team thing to me doesn't make a lot of sense. But hey, again, I'm not well informed on what he's trying to do. This is speculation based on what Arctos does and based on Arctos's, you know, mission statement, essentially. The Denver Broncos just sold for $4.65 billion. The down payment on that is $1,395,000,000. Just a down payment. Just to have a conversation about buying the team. It's $1 billion just for an NFL team. Like you're not, the Arctos thing is not to, to buy an NFL franchise. It's not. I could see, I could see, like look at Major League Baseball. Here's the problem with Major League Baseball. You've got a line of cities that are far more qualified just because they've been in the pipeline for so much longer. Yeah. If you look at Charlotte, who's got billionaires on top of billionaires that have been trying to get a team to Charlotte for a generation, you look at Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma, Washington has been trying. You look at Spokane, has been trying. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is, I think the Pacific Northwest is viewed as a small market, and they're not going to have two teams there. That does not make a lot of sense. But you look at the, the other markets in this country – that have been looking for a another professional baseball team, I I just don't think that it is Salt Lake City. Yeah. I don't. I, I honestly could see another NHL team here. I could see bringing an NHL team to Salt Lake City. That feels like the most probable thing to me. Yeah. NHL or Major League Baseball. That feels the most probable. You have... Because with the NHL, you have you have Denver with the Avalanche, you have Vegas with the Knights. Like, it makes sense. Well, like, I, think I could the Denver see... dynamic is a huge thing here, right? Like, Denver has everything, and that's what I think a lot of people do. They say, "Well, it's Denver. You've got the Broncos, you've got the Avalanche, you've got the Nuggets, you've got the Rockies, you've got all these teams. So why do you need teams in Salt Lake, right? Like, Salt Lake is right next to Denver, isn't it? That's what I think people do." And that's why I think Salt Lake doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And I also think when we're talking Major League Baseball, I think this whole dynamic in Tampa around the Rays and, and them moving and, you know, that whole situation is also interesting. No, 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 friends. It's the Arizona Coyotes. To me, that's what makes the most sense. Do you guys know what the Arizona Coyotes value is? It's $400 million. If, if you have... Ryan Smith in the Salt Lake market that I think does a great job. Like the Grizzlies are a great organization. The Utah Grizzlies, the ECHL team, which is essentially double A hockey to the Colorado Avalanche, right? The community does a great job supporting that team. Like the fan base that the, the, the Grizzlies have is, is not the biggest fan base in hockey, but it's certainly a passionate one. If you brought the Arizona Coyotes, 
to Salt Lake City. It, I mean, it's life-changing for hockey in this town. Mm -hmm. And it's $400 million. Which really is not that much. You can afford to do that. They do not have a home in Arizona. I look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like, that's the those are the franchises that we're talking about. Tampa Bay, the problem with Tampa is they've been trying to sell or move that team for how long? Mm -hmm. And it has not happened. And it tells me that there's not an appetite there to do that. I honestly think the two most available franchises in baseball, you know, are probably the Arizona Diamondbacks, although I don't know that Ken Kendrick would want to sell. He's the owner of the Diamondbacks. But I, I think that's absolutely one. It makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. I think Tampa and Arizona are the two most available. Yeah. And I think when I look at the Kraken now being in Seattle, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that the Arizona Coyotes are the are the available franchise in hockey. There's just no doubt about that to me. Yeah, 400 million is a very attainable number. That's and, I mean that's just not a lot of money. And by the way, that's only if you buy them outright. But if you partner with that owner who's very a very savvy businessman, the guy that owns the Coyotes, very savvy businessman. If you if you partner with that owner, and you become a minority owner, like 49.9%, and you build a new state-of-the-art facility for the Jazz and the Coyotes, I think you're living well. I absolutely think you're living well. Yeah. Call me crazy. I think hockey here would thrive. I think hockey here, NHL hockey in Salt Lake City, I think would absolutely thrive. I think it would. A lot of people have asked me, hey, do you think hockey would surpass RSL in a moment? Yeah, absolutely. In a moment, the hockey community in Salt Lake City is fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. So mm -hmm. I think when you look at Ryan Smith, this is not an unintelligent man. He is a wily, savvy operator, a very smart guy. Yeah, I do not think he's in financial trouble. I could more buy into the fact that he is struggling for cash. Liquidity is the exact right word that I would use. Yeah. Hockey in this town would be bananas. Yeah, I think it would do very, very well. Very, very well. All right. Uh, Steve Peterson says, uh, come come on. It's not MLB or NHL. It's the NFL. He's bringing the NA NFL here. I, it's just so expensive. I mean, my God. I, it, it, it's it's going to... I can't even think of a franchise that you would move. Here. I don't think this town... Like, I think this town is so driven by college football that I'm not sure that an NFL team would outperform the college football teams here unless that team was Man. winning a lot. Like, you'd have to be playoff team caliber team to to outperform the college teams here, in my opinion. But, hey, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong. But I just think you have a perfect setup with college football here. Yeah, I, and I don't know. Man, that's tough. I, I think... I, I think the NFL would thrive here. I, well, it I, thrives everywhere. I mean, it's got, it would make money. That's not really even a conversation. It would make money. But the, the conversation, again, the conversation isn't around if the NFL would thrive. The NFL would thrive here. There's no question about it. But the conversation is more about money and what Ryan can afford and what Ryan wants to do. That's the conversation. So yeah. when you look at the Arctos thing and you look at like where Ryan's at and, and what makes sense, logically speaking, you know, Major League Baseball and, and the NHL make perfect sense. I mean, again, $400 million is just not, like, that's not a lot of money by sports owner 
standard. There's just not. Now, $4.95 billion? That's a ton of money. That's a anybody, ton of money. Dude. That is a that is a ton of money, and I I just don't know, um, you know I I don't I don't know why yeah I don't know interesting uh, interesting bits from uh, Shams this morning um, that I think is of note. Shams says that the Denver Nuggets inquired with the Nets about acquiring Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Mm, I think the Nuggets have the assets. That's for sure. I think the Nuggets have definitely have players. But if I'm the Nets, I'm asking for Jokic, which is never going to happen. No, you know, <clears throat> but that's what you have to ask for. So I mean, they inquired. That means they probably called and asked what it would take. That's what that means. Yeah, I think that could be interesting. But the other team that he says is new, um, Shams on uh, the Athletic says uh, Durant uh, is of interest to the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that um, the Grizzlies have made new inquiries to the Nets about Durant. Uh, Memphis has five first-round draft picks available, four unprotected selections of its own, and one protected via Golden State to utilize in a trade as well as young players like Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, Zaire Williams, Brandon Clark, Kennedy Chandler, and David Roddy. Plus you- some guy named John Morant. <laughs> Well, and I obviously John Morant and Kevin Durant are very close friends. Yeah, there. That I think that's very well known. Um, but I just don't know if you're Memphis. Are you giving up the young core that you've built to trade for Kevin Durant? Yeah, they're. I mean, they're a team that would, that I could easily see winning a championship if you had Kevin Durant. I mean, I, I think that defensively they're really good. I think John Morant's going to continue to grow. I mean, I yeah, I I wouldn't. When's the next time you're going to have? You know, like after, you know, Ja plays through his rookie deal and, yeah. you know, does the extension and everything, you know, how long is Ja Morant going to be on your team? You know, I mean, you have, those are, when you're Memphis, those are questions you have to ask. I mean, uh, you know, I, again, we're seeing it with Donovan Mitchell. You, teams like Memphis and Utah and Charlotte, like these, the smaller teams have to ask that question, you know? And, and I think that if I'm Memphis, what do you have to lose by going for it? You know? Yeah, I don't know, man. I I think when I look at what the Nets have, I mean, if they bring this whole squad back to training camp, and I don't think they will. That's just my opinion. If the Nets show up at training camp, Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine that they struggle in any way, shape, or form to win a championship. I mean, I, I just... I look at how good they are right now. Durant, Kyrie, Ben Simmons. Yeah, but... By the way, Ben Simmons is is just about to be cleared to play five-on-five. Five. I don't know if anybody saw that over the weekend. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, man. I, that's great. I'm, I'm happy he's progressing, but it's very simple with Ben Simmons, at least for me. You know, Ben Simmons has to show that he's kind of a changed man, that that when he gets on the floor, he performs. And, and again, I'm not even joking... When that moment comes in in a in a big game and it's you and you've got the ball in your hand and you got to make a play, you got to show that you can make that play, you know. Yeah. And, and I and look, I understand. I'm very respectful of, you know, the mental health portion of his game and what he's dealt with and the things he was going through. I, I get it, you know. But but again, that doesn't like we're going to talk about catfish later in the show and the Manti Teo thing. Like just because you're dealing with something doesn't mean that an NBA franchise or a player or whoever has to give you a pass on that. And that's just the world we live in. So 
So the not dunking thing in Philly is still going to haunt Ben Simmons until he proves otherwise. So that's why I say it's great. I'm glad to hear that he's he's cleared and he's going to start playing. That's awesome. The league is better with Ben in it. But as far as championship teams are concerned, you got to show that you can go out and make the play. <laughs> that's what has to happen here. Yeah, and all I know is Kevin Durant better know what the hell he's doing. Oh, for sure. For if sure. He leaves. Can you really tell me talent-wise? And I mean just talent-wise, I understand that Steve Nash and all that other garbage is right is a mess but can you really tell me that you're gonna leave this team in Brooklyn and you're gonna find a better situation because no matter where you go they're gonna have to give up a haul to get you mm -hmm. and my feeling is he's not going to win this coming season unless everybody comes back because with Claxton and Mills and Joe Harris like they, they actually have depth in Brooklyn yeah and, it, you know, who knows? Maybe T.J. Warren only plays 20 games again. But don't forget, they signed T.J. Warren. That cat can still play in this league. Like, yeah. they have talent. And if your core three are Kyrie, KD, and Ben Simmons, and let's just assume the best. Let's, let's, for argument's sake, assume the best about the Brooklyn Nets. Tell me again that Kyrie, KD, and Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton, Joe Harris... Like, you look at the roster that they've put together there. Tell me again that that team can't compete for a championship in this league. Thanks. Come on. They're competing at the top of the East, right? I mean, yeah. they're 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 on par. That This group right now, this group's on par with Milwaukee. They're on par with Philadelphia. Boston. I think that, well, and now we find out that Boston, you know, that, that Chaboy in Boston Chaboy. was playing with a broken wrist <clears throat> for a good part of the season. He had a fracture in that Jason Tatum had a fracture in that wrist. I mean, come on. Like, and this is what I say about the Knicks. I mean, even if it is, you know, even if it's, let's say they center a package around Obi Toppin. Right. I mean, that's why I say the Knicks are not going to win a championship with Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Even if, let's say Danny took two unprotected first round picks, Obi Toppin, Evan Fournier. Or, I'm telling you now, dude, they're not, they're not winning a championship. Yeah. Next question. It's not going to happen. And that's I man, Kevin Durant better know what he's doing. KD better know what he's well, doing. Well, and I think you know again, as as we've talked about several times on the show, not new. Like the legacy thing, I think is also very much in play. I, I think that you know, Kevin. I, I I actually, I, you know, I was thinking about this over the weekend. I actually think that there's a case to be made that him staying in Brooklyn and just seeing it out, and it, like if Kevin Durant tomorrow were to come out and say, you know what. I messed this situation up. I'm going to play the rest of my contract out in Brooklyn. I'm just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be committed to the situation. I'm just going to play it out. I think the respect level for Kevin would go way up. And I think that Kevin would have a, 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 a lot more to play for than he already does. And so that's why I say like, you know, you're right. Like the, the next team he goes to, you know, he, it has to happen. Or I, I think that Kevin will be regarded as a guy who, you know, needed help to win and like was a ring chaser and like, you know, and again, I, I we've talked all about the ring chasing thing, but I think that's like his legacy right now. Like, Hey, you needed Steph's help. You needed other guys to help you along the way. And I don't think Kevin realizes that right but now. But again, I will just say what I've said for several months. If you're the Jazz, how have you not called them? If you're Denver, I mean, I have to if think. If you're Phoenix, dude, if Denver's calling, I have to think Danny at least called. I, 
you'd have to, you have to, but I, I think everybody, I, you know, the other, the other week when he reiterated his, his trade demand to Joe Sy two weeks ago, I guess it's been two full weeks now yeah. since he Already. did that. I was told 20 teams called the, called the New Jersey, the New Jersey Nets, the Brooklyn <laughs> Nets on Kevin Durant, Yeah, the 20 teams called. But again, on your point, like you're not giving up Joker on that. Like you're, you're, there's no. no, there are very few teams in this league who can make that deal happen. What Kevin very Durant few needs, teams. What Kevin Durant needs, if he is desperate to get out, is he needs time to continue to pass. He needs training camp to get here as fast as possible, so that there's more pressure on the Nets, so that they will take less. And I don't know. You know, I think it's tough because I don't know that the Nets are ever going to take less. Like, I think the Nets are perfectly fine having him, like, forcing Kevin Durant's hand and, ha and making him sit out. I think they're fine with that. Reed Holmberg says, good morning, fellas. Today is my seven-year anniversary. Wifey and I are going to Ruth's Chris for the first time. Yeah! Any suggestions? Well, well, number, well, number well one, friend. Go to the Ruth's Chris in Park City, number one. Number two, um, I mean, you can't go wrong. Now, I am a New York strip with three um, sautéed, not grilled, three sautéed shrimp on top of that. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, but it just, you know, the sides are all a la carte, and they are lovely. Now, you are a mac and cheese guy, mm -hmm. but I'm telling you, you can't go wrong. If you go mushrooms and mashed potatoes, you can't go wrong. Well, and I think the thing, real quick, on the mac and cheese, specifically at Ruth's Chris, is they do chipotle mac and cheese, I think, right? Yes. So... You can ask them to just make you regular mac and cheese, which I highly recommend. I think it's superior to the Chipotle stuff and all that. So I would be going, I'm with you, medium, New York strip, mashed potatoes. Yeah, and, and medium. Yeah. Not well. Not well, not medium. chewy hockey puck. Right in the center, crusty top, medium. Yes. Medium. Yes. But be, be really specific when you order food at a place like Ruth's Chris. <laughs> I love Ruth's Chris. We eat there probably too often. <laughs> but I'm telling you now, when you go to Ruth's Chris, hold them accountable. You're paying probably 150, 200 bucks for that meal. The steak's got to be perfect. And it will be. Trust me. It's going to come out on a platter. They'll cut it. You'll see. Mm. Plates are super hot there. So they're going to say it a yes. million times, but it's easy to forget your first time. When the plates come out, don't touch them. They will burn you. Yes. Uh, brother. Brother. Says yes, 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 LOL. And congratulations. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations, Reed. Yes. Reed, congratulations. Did you say seven-year anniversary? Seven-year anniversary. Yeah, congrats, dude. For That's our awesome, guy, Reed bro. Holmberg. That's awesome. Reed, really good to see you this morning. I appreciate you being here. If you're just tuning into the show, uh, welcome into the Monty Show right here. We're live every single day, uh, 6.30 to, I don't know, 9.30-ish. We don't really have Whenever rules. we want because we don't we have rules like it's and it's, you know. Yeah! You know. Um, we are live and local every day uh, right here on the Monty Show. Uh, live on YouTube. Big changes coming to the show over the next month or so. Make sure you stick around for that. Want to remind you, uh, as we talk NBA this morning, the biggest stories in sports, this Donovan Mitchell update. Um, you know, the the new details on Donovan Mitchell are just moments away. But I want to remind you that uh, absolutely, positively, on a daily basis, this show um, is sending listeners to see BYU and Utah. Or, excuse me, God! God! BYU and Notre Dame in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium in the Shamrock Series, October 7th and 8th. Pretty simple. 
The only way to enter this contest is to go to Barbecue Pit Stop. Any of their five Barbecue Pit Stop locations, check them out online. Go to their website, bbqpitstop.com, bbqpitstop.com. They also have Enter to Win boxes on all of their counters. Go in there, please. Tell them, hey, we found you through the Monty Show. That's how the show works. We don't have a lot of advertisers because we don't need, we don't want to inundate you with ads. Mm -hmm. But the advertisers we do bring to you, we need you to go there. We need you to call them. Go get your rubs, Fast. your spices, your sauces. Go get your your Traeger Ironwood 885. Hell yeah. Jake made lovely wings on the on the Traeger last night. Mm-hmm. Hook it up at barbecuepitstopbbqpitstop.com. September 17th, BYU is at Oregon. Autzen Stadium, Eugene, Oregon. We are going to have a watch party at Barbecue Pit Stop in Lehigh. Okay, that's just about a little less than a month away now. Mm-hmm. We're going to have wings. Jake's going to make you some lovely wings on the smoker. We're going to have pizza. It's going to be amazing. We're going to watch the game. And then at halftime of BYU in Oregon, we are going to bring to you the winner of that trip. We are going to announce it. Come and join us September 17th, barbecue pit stop in Lehigh. And it's all presented by our good friend, Devry Davis at Academy Mortgage. I say it every day and I'll say it every day. He is simply the best mortgage guy in the business. He's done three of my mortgages. And the number one question that I get about mortgages, oh, Monty, I can't afford a down payment. You keep talking about how there's homes available and you keep talking about how the mortgage rates are low. Bro, I can't afford it. Yes, you can. Devery Davis with the Davis Lending Team powered by Academy Mortgage. All right, first time home buyers, listen up. This one's for you. There's a huge misconception on how much it takes to buy a house. Is it 20%, is it 10%, is it 15%? The answer will surprise you. There's four mortgages in the United States. Two of them require no down payment, two require very minimal down payment. Out of that down payment, um, there's lots of places to get it from. There's state funds, county funds, city funds, lots of ways to buy a house, no money down. When I was 18, I got out of high school, I actually bought a brand new house, no money down, regretted it if you have questions give me a shout glad to walk you through it have a great one that's our guy Devery davis at academy mortgage 801-543-9666 he's great call you, him bro you call him you talk to him you, he you're dealing with him directly you're not going into a farm or a call center you're talking to Devery Davis at Academy Mortgage directly. And no matter where you listen to the show, no matter where in Utah you are, if you need a mortgage, if you have questions about a mortgage and you're in Poughkeepsie or Tacoma or your mom's house, yeah, call Devery Davis. He's got answers. 801-543-9666, NMLS number 278545. Devery Davis and Academy Mortgage are equal housing lenders. The biggest stories in sports this morning, very clearly, the latest updates on Donovan Mitchell. We've heard a lot of, of wild machinations about trades and what's been offered and what's not. But what we can tell you in certainty is that the Jazz and Knicks have continued to try and find a way to make a deal for Donovan Mitchell. Danny Ainge has not come off of his trade demands. We've reported this for the last four weeks. And that is that Danny Ainge is asking for six first-round picks and a package of young players that includes Quentin Grimes. We've also it. told you that from the beginning, the Knicks have offered Obi Toppin and a package of players. They are willing to include a guy like an Evan Fournier or a Cam Rennish to make this deal work financially. 
But Danny Ainge has made it very clear. I think he wants Grimes and McBride, and I think he is willing to build a package of players around them rather than the other uh, the other way around. Danny Ainge is not going to compromise on that offer. And the latest updates that we got over the weekend, according to sources at the Utah Jazz, is that the Jazz and the Knicks are working to find a third team to facilitate this trade happening because the Knicks don't want to give up a ton to get Donovan Mitchell. And Danny Ainge is not going to lower his asking price. So a third team is going to be needed to make that happen. And we'll see if that's able to be pulled off. But I've also been told the most likely window for this to happen is around, you know, between the 26th of August and the 1st of September. And I think a lot of that is because Patrick Beverly can be moved in a deal at that point. Yeah. So his money would absolutely, um, you know, make a larger deal possible. I just don't simply think that you can pass up six first round picks. But if the Knicks are only offering four picks, two first round unprotected, that's just not a deal the Jazz are going to make. Yeah. So this morning, Shams has a new update on Kevin Durant saying that the Memphis Grizzlies are the newest Western Conference team, according to Shams at The Athletic, <laughs> uh, to make a play for Kevin Durant. Man, I find that hard to believe because the hall of talent that it would take to get Kevin Durant if you're Memphis, just seems unattainable. How is that even possible? Yeah, I it mean, seems it's a lot. unattainable. It's a lot, but uh, but again, you just you, you have to keep Ja, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., and you know a couple of their other role players. I mean, that's like Dylan Brooks or you know those guys that are really impact players for them. Those are the guys you have to keep. I, I think that again, I can't say this enough. If you're Memphis, you're trying to win a championship in this window that you have with John Morant. It's got to happen or it's not going to happen for a long time. So I, I think they're going to go for it. Yep. Mesh says, why are six draft picks so valuable? Because it's currency. Draft picks in the NBA buy you leverage. So if, you, if you're looking to acquire a marquee player such as a Donovan Mitchell, you're going to have to give up those draft picks to get him, right? So if you're trying to get Kevin Durant, you can take those six picks and turn them into Kevin Durant. Yeah. So... A, a draft picks are what all rebuilding franchises want. That's and when, when you are the Utah Jazz, look at the Rudy Gobert deal. I mean, you wind up with five picks, Walker Kessler, like Patrick Beverly. I mean, you you get all this stuff, Malik Beasley, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, who, by the way, the other thing I heard over the weekend is that Jared Vanderbilt is the most in-demand Utah Jazz player. <laughs> I'm sure he is. Well, I don't know that – I don't think Danny's going to trade him. I really nah. don't. So – my point is their currency, especially in the 2023 NBA draft, which is arguably the deepest draft we've seen in the last 10 years. So there's a lot of reason to believe that. All right, uh, coming up, uh, I want to get to this Cam Rising Heisman thing, but let's get some more of your comments. Uh, MY Jazz fan says draft picks are like currency in the NBA for trading, building, et cetera. Everyone wants them and needs them. Yes, they do. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Strange Cloud says Saudi Stooge. Saudi stooge is what Sa you're looking Saudi for. Stooge. Saudi stooge. Okay. There you go. Uh, Kay Nuren says, yes, my game of the year, BYU and Notre Dame. Don't miss this one. Don't. Join us at Barbecue Pit Stop. You, man. The Barbecue Pit you. Stop thing is going to be fire, literally. I mean, wings, pizza. Like I, I, And I also think it's going to be cool for a lot of people to get together, like, you know, we have literally like we have people flying in like the, it's going to be a big event. It's going to be a, a can't miss. We're yeah. going to do our, our yeah. football Saturday show be live from barbecue pit stop. 
Um, so we'll be, be doing a live show there. Um, that's going to be great. We'll have a guest chair. If you really feel so inclined, you know, you can, you know, sit next to Jake and he'll, you know. While I'm eating my flats, obviously. Yeah. How about you being an idiot at the store the other day? Like trying to get flats instead of drums. Hey, guys. Like you're, you're just a man. I don't know. Xavier Pena says the Knicks will be begging to give Toppin, Grimes, and seven first-round picks for Spida when the season starts. I totally disagree with that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no. Begging's a little extreme. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Top Junkie says Jesse Katie will get a much bigger return package than Mitchell. I'm not a Katie fan. Just stating facts. Can Monty and Jake help? Who gets more in return, uh, Katie or Donovan Mitchell? Well, oh, I, I, I mean, I, this is not even a conversation. I, I mean, guess it depends on who the buyer is. Because I, I actually don't think you can say, well, KD's worth more draft picks than Donovan Mitchell because here's the problem. You're only worth what somebody's willing to pay for you. And I actually think that Kevin Durant is damaged goods. I think Kevin Durant's a guy that has tremendous value around this league. But the issue is, is that Kevin Durant has hurt his, his reputation now. And I think it's been a bad look. I, am I willing to give up six unprotected first-round picks to get Kevin Durant? No, I'm probably not. I'm not willing to give up six unprotected picks to get anybody. Now, is Donovan Mitchell worth two and Kevin Durant's worth four? Probably. Is Kevin Durant a superior player? Absolutely. Does that mean somebody's going to pay more for Kevin Durant than Donovan Mitchell? No, absolutely not. It does not mean that. Yeah, I think Kevin Durant's price is largely attached to Joe Sy's willingness to let Kevin Durant twist in the wind while the season wears on. That's what I think. That's what I think his price is tied to. I think if Joe Sy. The owner of the Brooklyn Nets is willing to let Kevin sit out and be a malcontent, and, and Josiah is willing to, essentially willing to do what Daryl Morey and the Sixers did, you know, in that whole thing. Right. Like, right. if he's willing to do that, uh, you know, the, the price for KD is going to be steep. But again, and we've had this conversation many times on the show, the price of a player is not what their numbers say the price is. The price is what the market dictates it at. So, you know, Rudy Gobert, that haul that Danny got for Rudy, literally broke the league. And we have a video on the channel back on July 1st. If you go to the channel, sort it by date, go July 1st. There, I'm pretty sure there's a, a video there that says, like, Danny Ainge broke the league. And he did because he got all that return for Rudy Gobert that he never should have got. And so now... When we talk about prices, well, if you got that for Rudy, what are you getting for Don? What are you getting for KD? Well, KD's damaged goods. Don's not a championship well, player. There you so go. what is the price? That is the issue. That is the issue. I agree with that 100%. Freezy breezy. Oh, so, dude. Uh, says, if you don't have a, a set star young player with some good young talent, you're ruined. If you don't have picks, uh, uh, look at the Nets years ago. Yeah, totally agree. Yep. Freezy also says, Mitchell, if you're looking for a young talent, Katie, if you're going for a chip, not right now. I think Agreed. that's absolutely true. Totally agree. And that's why I say I don't know. You know, Golden State doesn't have that kind of package, although, I mean, Kaminga and Wiseman. But see, Golden State see, Golden State doesn't need it, though. That's the problem. That's what, that's, that's what makes Golden State unique. They don't need you. They don't need Kevin. They just won without him. Like, they don't need it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Geo, major comment dump. Hello. James Jensen says, I have to believe that Jazz sat down with Mitchell before all of this offseason mess. Oh, it, yeah. Go well, ahead. I mean, if you go back to our videos in December and January, they the, the Jazz and Donovan Mitchell have a healthy communication. Mm -hmm. They are on the same page. And I think that has not changed. I think in their conversations, you know, after the season ended, their conversations through the summer, I, I don't think that's changed in any way, shape, or form. 
So I would agree with that. Uh, Leonard Donnan Endelove says, we back. What's up, LDN? Good to see you, my friend. Kanai Johnson says, just imagine KD and Ja. That would be deadly. Yeah, but you can kind of see the potential of that. You can see, okay, if you have, again, Dylan Brooks is the most important part of the conversation. Ja Morant is Ja. He's always going to do what he does. You know what you're getting. But Dylan Brooks, the defensive prowess that Brooks brings, you have to retain him in a, in a Durant deal. So, again, John Morant, Kevin Durant, or, yeah, John Morant, Kevin Durant. Man, that's trippy. That's, that's close. That's close, yeah. Morant and Durant. <laughs> uh, Jaron Jackson and Dylan Brooks. Those four guys, if you can have them on the same team, you're a championship team. Yep, Rant says uh, Brown is better than Mitchell. Which yeah, Brown? I think, Jalen Brown? Yeah, Jalen Brown. No, yeah. I'm taking Don. I'm taking Don. Wow. I mean, the the uh, Donovan Mitchell with that group of talent is a better player than Jalen Brown. That's I, I mean, that, that's that to me, that's the conversation here. Like, it, it's very difficult to compare. Donovan Mitchell has had a subpar roster around him pretty much his entire career. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at the, the – the, this Utah Jazz team was built around Rudy Gobert. And I think it <laughs> makes it very difficult – if you are Donovan Mitchell to thrive in, in, in that situation, you know, like I, I think when you look at Don, he's had Rudy Gobert and Boyan Bogdanovich. If Mike you look, Conley. Mike Conley. If you look at Jalen Brown, he's had Jason Tatum. He's had Marcus Smart. He's had like, he's had guys around him that make him a better player. But if you look at, if you look at Donovan Mitchell, who on the floor with Donovan Mitchell makes him a better player? Mike Conley, when he first got here, okay, I can buy into that. Last season's Mike Conley. He's a three and D guy. Donovan Mitchell ever like, get to play with Kyrie? Yeah, well, yeah, but I think there's there's also something to that. There's also I, I mean, he's it's the Boston Celtics. They have routinely pushed and improved and remade that roster. Kemba I, Walker. And and but I also think you're seeing now with Danny Ainge, and while Kemba and, and Kyrie didn't work out, you gave him the chance. Right, you put talent around him. I look at Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge is doing that same thing right now. Yeah. So the question is going to be: Is Donovan Mitchell going to be part of this team when the when training camp gets here? I hope so, man. I I, I truly hope so. I think if he is, I think we're having a different conversation. There's no doubt about that. Josh Rodriguez says Knicks fan here. Don't expect a trade. Our front office is totally different now. We won't bite, and Ainge won't bite either. I think that's why we've heard reports that they're out looking for a third team. And I think that's exactly what I would be doing. Uh, Jesse P says, no way Mitchell is better than Jalen Brown. Well, I don't, dude, I think you're, I don't know if you're a stack guy or what you're basing that on, but I have to say, I agree. If you put Donovan Mitchell in Jalen Brown's situation, I think Donovan Mitchell surpasses Jalen Brown. And I don't even think it's really that and, close. And I'll just go back to what I've said about Don this summer. He looks amazing. He looks as healthy as I have ever seen him. I've never seen him have the bounce he has in his legs now. Yeah, he looks rested is what he looks like. He looks strong. Like, I, I don't know if Don just didn't have the legs for it the past couple of seasons or, like, what's kind of changed or, like, what he did exactly because yeah. it's not like we've seen him doing anything that's, like, outlandish or rocket science-esque, if you will. But, he yeah, he looks better. There's just not That's just not in question. I think Donovan Mitchell is a better three-point shooter than people give him credit for. And I think Donovan Mitchell, if, if what we see on the court in this summer and these runs at Rucker and, yeah. you know, the Miami Pro-Am and the, the runs with Chris Brickley, if his mid-range game translates, yeah. forget it. I mean, he is. I'm for real. I'm telling you. 
I'm telling you, he's, he's he's top five. Yeah, he's top five in the NBA, and I know I get a lot of heat on that, but he's top five in the NBA. Uh, Jesse P says Mitchell's another Carmelo Anthony situation waiting oh, to get the hell out of here. Wanting no. to play in New York. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not even that you're, you're again, as the running joke on the show goes with all due respect, in my opinion, that's an embarrassing comment. He's I think, not even close to that. I think Don is far more like, dynamic than Carmelo. And I think Donovan Mitchell is far more of a professional than Carmelo was when Carmelo was a Nick. I, I think that if Carmelo could go back, he'd handle that situation completely differently. I, I just have no doubt about that. Keith Turner says, uh, we don't really know what Le- Leon Rose offered for Donovan. Maybe he's the one that's trying to lowball Danny. Um, I, I feel pretty good about what I've heard that Leon offered. And that is two first round picks unprotected, which would be lowballing for sure, which would be lowballing <laughs> for sure. I mean, I want a discount. I, I think that if Leon Rose had his way, he would trade. My guess is he would trade Obi Toppin, Evan Fournier, and two first-round picks for Don. And I just don't think Which, that's a deal way, you make. By the way, I actually think in like if if everything is equal, that's actually a fair price. But the problem is everything isn't equal. No. The problem is Danny's never going to take that. Like that's not even close to what Danny's asking. There's for. no value in that for the Jazz. Yeah. It, it, look, let's let's say they're complete. They're trying to burn it down. They're desperate to trade Donovan Mitchell. Two first-round picks. That's it. Nah. That's not going to work. You're not yeah. rebuilding with two first-round picks. I'm going to say this again. Right? What does Obi Toppin really bring you as a team that's rebuilding? He's going to wind up getting moved. Yeah. He's going to wind up getting moved. And Evan Fournier, you have no value in Evan Fournier. Like, that doesn't make sense. If you're a rebuilding team, I, I think the fair market value for Donovan Mitchell is four first-round picks that are unprotected and a guy like a Quentin Grimes. If I'm the Knicks, I'm never giving Grimes up. I think that highly of Quentin Grimes. From what I've seen and what people have... I thought he looked really good in summer. He The knee looks fantastic. It mm-hmm. looks fine. It's not an issue. Quentin Grimes looked really good in Vegas. Yeah. I wouldn't trade him. I You don't need... Neither one of these teams needs this deal. It doesn't make the New York Knicks an Eastern Conference contender. Nope. It makes them a mid-table Eastern Conference team. They're not winning 50 games. And I I think if you look at Milwaukee, Philly, the Bulls, like you look at the best teams in the East, those are all 50-win teams. Miami, Boston, and Milwaukee. I don't know if Miami's a 50-win team right now. I'm having trouble understanding what Pat Riley's trying to accomplish in Miami. I, I'm not a... They're good. They're not great. I think Boston, Boston has a chance to be elite. I don't know what Miami's got. I don't know what, I don't know how much Kyle Lowry has left in the tank. I don't know how long Jimmy Butler can play at the level he's playing at. They're just as, like, I mean, I'm not a Tyler Hero guy at all. 53 wins last year. Yeah. And I and you still have I, I think Duncan Robinson's still on that team. I mean, they you just you're missing some things there. Yeah. That's a team that if you add Donovan Mitchell, now that becomes a team that can win the East. You were I mean, they were the Miami Heat were eight and six against teams above five hundred, so that kind of tells you what you need to know. Yeah. I just I, I they're good. They're not great. Yeah. Like Philly is great. I think I, I think it down with Philly's great, dude. No, I have to disagree with that. Philly's not better than Miami, and Miami's good, not great. 
Philly is far better than Miami. Nah, well, we Philadelphia, disagree, the Philadelphia we disagree. Seven, but based on what are they not better? I, based I on think, Jimmy Butler is better than James Harden. Based but, on but that. you don't need you don't need Jimmy Butler to be. You don't need the Philadelphia 76ers were dysfunctional last year. I think we saw the hangover of that trade. You have a full summer. You have James Harden being selfless and giving away money to stay on the team. He clearly has dedicated himself. The guy looks really good in shape. I think Tyrese Maxey is going to have a year of years. I think Tyrese Maxey has a chance to be one of the best young players in this league. And I mean, he he's a guy that, He's a guy that could break out and become like, holy cow, where did this guy come from? He can be better than James Harden is right now. He can be the number two on that team. It's got to happen. But Joe has shown he can stay healthy now. I think Harden's going to be better. I don't know what to make of of the group around those three. But man, I think they have a chance to be the best team in the East. Chris Middleton's breaking down. And guys that have played as much basketball at him as him now with a knee injury, like you really worry about his viability. Uh, I, the Bulls are not a better team. They're not a better team, in my opinion. That's not a team where you're like, oh yeah, that's a better team. I don't see them as a better team. That's just that's me. That's my opinion. You know. Yeah. Uh, big bucket talks says Philly and Miami on the same slate. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Uh, Kurt Meyer says, how can you discount the Bucks? Because I I. One, Giannis just had an MRI on his back. I don't know if anybody saw that. He's played a lot of basketball, and now he's playing the Euros. Chris Middleton's coming off of a significant injury that cost him a ton of time. I can question the Bucs. Yeah. There's there's no doubt about that. Rant says Philly better than the Heat just got uh, Melton, too. Now have wings. And, by the way, you have House on that team. No, like I, I mean, It's just not – you're not – listen, I, I'm not saying you're wrong about the roster. Yes, on paper, they're better. I'm t- I'm talking about when you're head to head in a in a big regular season game. You're really going to sit here and tell me you believe that Philly's going to win that game. I do because well, I think they're going to be better defensively. Well, we'll see. And I, I I'm not a Tyler Hero guy. I think for Miami to win like win win like championship like really be there, Tyler Hero is going to have to be unbelievable because he's still on the team. I mean, I'm I'm talking current day today. Yeah, because I think there's a chance they trade him. He's still in team. By the way, let's not sell out Atlanta. DeJounte Murray, although I think he got his bag slapped over what he did to Bancaro. Yeah. I think some people were not amused. Yeah, he clearly changed his tune on that. With what DeJounte Murray did to Paulo Bancaro was not funny. I don't think Philly's never won anything recently. They've never done any significant winning. Even with even with having Harden and and look, obviously Joel Embiid. That's that pretty much explains itself. I mean, the guy's a stud. There's no doubt. How much but, do you think the Kawhi shot changed that franchise? A lot. I mean, I, they they were on track. They were on track for sure. But but again, I mean, again, it's cold blooded, and I'm not trying to be an asshole about it. But he did make that shot. Like yeah. you, you lost the game. Yeah. You know, and and that's just how sports goes. And I think that. That since then, yeah, I, that was obviously a huge moment in time for for the Sixers franchise. But I just, I'm not a believer in James Harden. I don't believe in the guy. You have never won anywhere you've been, and in the clutch moments when you had your opportunity, you went 0 for 27. And no, I'm not letting that go because that was one of the biggest moments of his career, and he did nothing. 
Absolutely well, nothing. And James has not been healthy for three years now. I mean, he's he's got a show, and it looks like he has. I mean, he was out of shape, let's be honest. Yeah. When he was in Brooklyn, he was out of shape. But you can see now that James Harden body is back. And, yeah, if, and I'm if, glad if, to see it. I am. The potential for him to have a big year is definitely there. I mean, he's showing all the right signs. The less money thing you talked about, like, great. Everything's there. But again, I need to see him roll up in in a, a game of consequence and go like, you know, six of eight from three and put up like 45 points and just dominate the game. I got to see that out of him to start believing that they're better than the Heat in playoff time because the Heat have shown me. Not this past year. Well, that's true. But the they, year before. The Heat have shown. Like, and I think Jimmy's shown that he can be yeah. that dude. I mean, you know yeah. Jimmy's going to show up. I mean, I agree with you. Tyler Hero's been incredibly inconsistent, and that's what leads to them not going far enough. And they're just not. Philly has not been good enough defensively, and I, yeah. I think they will be. Uh, let's see. Rugs 89 New York says, Obi is Leon's first draft pick. Grimes, RJ, and Obi are off the table. I can tell you that's just not the case. Yeah. That's not the case. I mean... The Jazz and Knicks have talked about all three of those players. Um, I think two weeks ago, Leon said, I'm not trading Grimes. He, I think he would trade Obi Toppin today. Today? To, today to get Donovan Mitchell. He would, on, he would do that deal today. I think he would trade R.J. Barrett today to get Donovan Mitchell. I think absolutely he would do that. And and I don't think you can fault him. And this, is, this goes back to go back and watch the show on Friday when we talked about how loyal – fans are to their teams. Mm -hmm. I think Nick fans are far too loyal to RJ Barrett. Far, far too loyal. I, I'm telling you. Uh, let's see. Jesse P says Boston isn't winning a championship with Tatum being the centerpiece. Well, Bro, we've had, I, we've I, debated that on this show as well. I, I, well, and this is the Devin Booker conversation. Can Devin Booker be the best player on a championship team? He hasn't shown it yet. He hasn't shown it yet. Jason Tatum didn't show it. Can yeah, but, Jace, can... but dude, Jason Tatum's the one thing Tatum has going for him is his teams have been there regularly. Right, like, right. That's both his greatest asset and his greatest, you know, knock. Hey, you've had like this is the LeBron conversation. You've been to the finals ten times and only won four. You're forty percent winner right now. So is it yeah. is is it greatness to get there ten times and lose six out of ten times? Well, or is it is that a bigger failure? I don't know. I think it depends how you look at it. So you know, for Jason Tatum. You know, I can't, like, Jesse, your comment there, like, I don't necessarily disagree that Tatum hasn't done enough winning, but what I can tell you is Tatum's been there, like, regularly. Tatum has, like, we all remember, you know, youngin' Jason Tatum dunking on LeBron and the chest bump, and, like, yeah, they end up losing, but that was one of his best moments. We all remember Jason Tatum, you know, going through these playoffs and being Mr. Clutch and then everyone criticizing him for not being clutch. Like when you get to that point and people are criticizing you for not showing up or having a bad game. Yeah. I think you've arrived. I think people know that, that you're, you've got the goods. So can he win or can he not win? I don't know. It remains to be seen, but, but I can tell you, I would damn sure rather have uh Jason Tatum than James Harden. I'd rather have Jason Tatum than Jimmy Butler right now. I would, I, I would take him over those two guys for sure. And I think, you know, mm. Jason Tatum's only going up. And, and dude, I, I, I just, I, that, when, you know, like, you watch guys and you're like, yeah, Jason Tatum's going to win eventually. That's, the, like, I think, obviously, he's going to win a championship. I don't think anyone doubts that. So, I don't know, man. I, I guess I disagree, but, but I think it really just comes down to how you view 
you know, that the whole success versus failure thing, like getting there and not winning, is that success or is that failure? That's failure. You know what I mean? That's failure. And you, that, would, would you rather get there? I mean, would you rather get there and lose than not have got there at all? Well, well, yeah, well yeah, sure. sure. And this is the Devin Booker thing. Hey, you got to the finals and you lost. And then, and the problem for Book is that you got embarrassed, you got slacked out of the postseason. And in this crap about DeAndre Ayton and using him as an excuse and like, him being, you know, a malcontent. I, not that book leaned on that, but I feel like as an organization, that's kind of the narrative in Phoenix right now. Well, DeAndre Ayton was a malcontent and bench issues, and, you know, they just weren't, you know, together when they were playing Dallas, and that's why they lost by 10 points, right? No, you lost by, like, 50 points. That's my problem right now with Book. I don't doubt that the guy is a killer. I don't doubt that he's one of the best players in the league. But you got to set the record yeah, straight here. You know? I, I think like, that I think that Devin Booker is a guy that I obviously am a huge book fan. Um, but he's that guy who will go off for sixty points in December and sixteen points in June. And I need thirty point book in the playoffs. I need forty percent from three from book in the playoffs. Is that difficult to do? Sure, it is. But the best players in the league do it. Yep. If you're truly, you know, that that Mamba mentality, you'll do that. Yeah. Is Jason Tatum that guy? I don't know. Like of the young players in the league right now, I still I still think that Devin Booker is the best player. But somebody's coming for that ass, right? Like, and by the way, I would mention to all of our Phoenix listeners, because I know we have a big following there. Um, this might be this might be the the last ride. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, how many years does Chris Paul have left? I don't know. I, I I honestly don't know how much time Chris Paul has left. I think yeah. it's really interesting to kind of contemplate that. Like Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, like you can ride with those guys. Yeah. Chris Paul is the glue that holds that team together. Yeah, and I think that Chris Paul is, yeah, he is aging, no doubt about it. He's He's been water's wet and Chris Paul's hurt guy. That's That's been the narrative about his career, and he's never won. And that hasn't changed, by the way. That has not changed in Phoenix. Nope. Because Chris Paul has been hurt in Phoenix. He's had these broken hands and the, 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 like little that stuff. That hasn't changed. Yeah. You That's know, who like he is. all I'm saying is the East is open for business. If you want to win, go all in and win now. Trading for Donovan Mitchell doesn't do that. Just a couple more. Luka Doncic from CAA Mafia. Luka will have a better career than both Tatum and Booker. Yeah, I mean, I already think his career trajectory is higher. I think I think he's the thing Luca's got going for him is that he's in Dallas and everyone thinks that he carries them. That's that in 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 the narrative is hey, Luca's carried you and you just haven't had enough to get over the hump because the NBA is no longer a one guy on a team can carry you league. You know, so that's what Luca has going for him. But but uh, you know, again, Luca's yeah, I can make the case that Luca's gonna prove it year as well. No more Jalen Brunson to help you, bro. Like what? What are what are you gonna be? You've got Christian Wood now. Like you've got you've got some players. Like what does that look like? I don't know, but I'm just telling you, it's it, Luca has been playing in huge games his entire life. Yes. The big game thing doesn't face him at all, and that's why he's able to have fun with it. Like I give Luca a lot of credit in that Phoenix series when they were down. He was like, "Hey, it's easy to talk junk when you're when you're ahead. Let's see what it is when the series flips." I thought that was a pretty telling moment in his career. Now he is Phoenix. Petty is, Phoenix is very perplexing 
is it the owner or is it the player's fault? Like if Devin Booker is is on Boston and Tatum's on Phoenix, does Boston win a championship this year? I don't know because they're not in those different positions. But I just feel like Boston has a superior team yeah. and they didn't win. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is on Jalen and, and Jason Tatum. Well, a lot of it is Steph's greatness. <laughs> like well, Steph game, doing game, Steph. Game four. Game four. Boston should have won that series. It was there for the taking, and you let it slip through your fingers. I'm not taking anything away from what Golden State did. Mm. Clay was dead on his feet. Draymond Green was terrible. You had that series won. You did your job until you didn't do your job. You didn't execute. And if you're not going to consistently execute in the NBA Finals, you're going to lose. <clears throat> you got out-executed by a, by a more experienced team with a better head coach. And their star player was better than your star player. Plain and simple. Facts. The stupidity of the turnovers alone Yeah, talked about experience. Yeah. You know? Uh, let's see. My Jazz fan says, Luka is a one-man band. He's a black hole. This is a really good point. Yep. This is a really good point. Great players uh, and get buckets, but better career is what what respects. Statistics, then yes. Success, then no. I think we're going to find out about Jalen Brunson in New York. Because you give the ball to Luka, it's never coming out. Mm -hmm. It's never coming out. And I think when you look at, you know, like Chris Stapps, didn't show us anything in Washington. Porzingis has been overrated his entire career. Mm -hmm. What is Jalen Brunson? Is Jalen Brunson a better, more dynamic player outside of Dallas without Luka than I think he is? Than he was in Dallas? I think he is. I absolutely think he we'll is. We'll see. Antonio Ruiz says Booker Mitch. I'm taking I'm taking Devin Booker every day. Booker who? Donovan Mitchell. Oh. Mm, Devin yeah, Booker. I think you got to take Devin Booker. But if Don comes back the way but I think I he's have coming to back. Say, I do have to say... Don did put up 55, I think it was, or 57 in the bubble in a big playoff game against Denver. Like, he's shown he can do it. And how'd that end up? Yeah, they lost. Jesse P says, Luca's biggest challenge is staying in shape. It is. JP Shanahan says, uh, what did I miss? A lot. Fat. <laughs> a lot. Um, let's see. CAA Mafia, if Spida was two inches taller, he'd be the yeah, best shooting but... guard in the... Well, he's not. Yeah, that's the he's thing, not. dude. He's not. He's not. And he still can be. He still can be. So, Freezy Breezy says 100-plus turnovers. Truth. Uh, HMoney821 says Brunson will be good anywhere he's a point guard. Well, and he knows how to use his body. That's the thing I think he's got going for him. He really knows how to be physical with guys, which I think in the NBA has is kind of a lost art. But, I yeah, I think it's a big change when you go from playing with a superstar the caliber of Luka Doncic to playing, again, not hating on RJ, but like that level of player. That's definitely a step down. And I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. You know, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Rance says, don't sleep on the nuggets. I agree. Uh Rugs89 New York says, I can guarantee you that Tibbs is gonna trade Obi. Who said that? Who said that? Uh, Tibbs, and by the way, it's not Tibbs' team to trade anybody. Yeah. Uh no source. Obi is Leon's guy. He's untouchable. Okay. Well, keep rolling with that. That's cool. Well, maybe you're right. I'm, you know, I could be wrong. Uh, Leighton Griffith says Knicks are going to regret the day they trade R.J. Barrett. Can Mitchell handle the N NYC media pressure? Well, that's a fair question. I think he can. I think he can. 
There, there's no doubt about that. Kenai Johnson, Brunson bullied Booker after he got called soft. Did he though? Did he? I don't think. I he mean, bullied. I think he answered it, but I don't know that he bullied him. I wouldn't say he bullied him. Uh, Larry Bird was a better player. People forget how good he was. Kane Nuren says. Okay. I mean, Larry was good, but he couldn't stay healthy at the end of his career. That's what really hurt him. H money eight two one. Nobody said Brunson will be a superstar. He will have a solid career anywhere. But are, are, you're, you're going to give up a first-round pick for tampering, and you're paying him all that money. You need him to be a star. You need him to be like a foundational piece of that team. Yeah. So, who knows? We'll see. 8-10, Mountain Time, 10-10, Eastern Time. Let's switch gears. By the way, a little breaking news in the NFL for you. Tom Brady is back with the Tampa Bay Bucks. He's in practice this morning. I want to play you this piece of audio. <laughs> I want to play you this piece of audio from Dana White. Did you guys hear this over the weekend? Dana White was right here in Salt Lake City. I thought the UFC did very well. Mm -hmm. um, the media raved about it. Not that that means much in this town, but <laughs> Dana White on Friday said something about Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski that shocked the world. Let's listen to it. I worked to put that deal together for Brady and Gronk to come to the Raiders. And it was almost a done deal. And at the last minute, Gruden blew the deal up and said that he didn't want him. And Whoa. all Whoa. hell broke loose, man. It was crazy. And, and, and Brady was already looking at houses, and it wasn't being said yet that Gronk was coming. So Las Vegas would have had Brady and Gronk the year that the Bucks won the Super Bowl, except Gruden blew the deal up. And there's so much story that goes along with this behind the scenes. And I... I, I was never going to tell that story till Gronk just said it. Wow. How about that? Dana White, the god of the UFC, says that he personally convinced Brady and Gronk, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, mm -hmm. to come to the Raiders and John Gruden, quote, blew the deal up. Do you buy it? What an idiot. Uh, yeah, I do buy that on some level. I think Dana White is very connected. I think Dana White it knows people, has relationships. He's just great with people, you know, and I think that's why the UFC has been able to get to to the level it, it has uh, reached. And, I, and, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Dana White did this on his own per se, but I definitely would not be surprised if Dana White uh, had, you know, uh, a big hand in this. I mean, think about it. If, if Dana White was able to get Tom Brady and Gronk to the Raiders, that raises the profile of Las Vegas, right? If the Raiders are a Super Bowl contender, what does that do for the UFC? Oh, well, the Raiders, the Raiders, the Raiders, sick. Now I can put UFC events in, in Allegiant Stadium or even if it's at MGM, I, I mean, it's still going to be a sellout. That when you raise the profile of your city by bringing a guy, guys the caliber of, of, of TB12 and Gronk, you're only helping your own brand. So to me, I think Dana White has all the incentive in the world to, to get this done. Now, I don't know why John Gruden, before his racist emails came out, wow. I don't know why John Gruden would would shoot this deal down. I don't know. But, but you know, obviously it didn't work out. So, hey, I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, I guess I do put, you know, probably like 60 70% stock into this story for sure. So you you you're all in on the fact that that hey man this is a done they Gronk and Tom Brady to Los I I believe it I believe it 
Tom Brady, I think, would have loved to have been a Las Vegas Raider. Well, and I think Tom wanted. I think I think there's a lot of uh, credence to Tom wanting to play on the West Coast. I think he never really had that opportunity as a player, you know. But then he went on to win a Super Bowl that year, mm-hmm. and everything worked out fine. I, I, why would Dana White make this up? And Dana's not the one who wanted to tell the story. Gronkowski brought it up. And Dana has incentive to do things like this. That's what he I think. He does. That's why I think it, it is credible because it just makes sense from a business perspective to raise the profile of everything around you. Because again, you're not competing with the Raiders. You're hell, you're not even competing with the Golden Knights. You're not. You what you want to do is you want to help them raise their profile. That way the UFC benefits from that. That's, yes. That's why I well, think this anything, makes sense. Anything that makes Las Vegas sports better is better for the UFC. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The UFC has shown that they can go to different continents. They can go to different cities. They're going to thrive everywhere. But the biggest, baddest, best UFC shows are in Las Vegas. Yes. And I think if Brady and Gronk had gone to Las Vegas, my goodness. I, I don't even know. I'm going to say this again. I mean, the show. Las Vegas is a thing on its own. Yes. But the other thing that I think this proves is that Dana White is a bad mf'er. This is a guy that knows everybody. This tells you about the popularity and the gravitational pull of the UFC. I'm for real. I mean, Joe Rogan showed out. Uh, I, I sold out Maverick Center on Friday night and put on an unbelievable show. Like Joe Rogan, stand-up comedy. He was here in Salt Lake City Friday night at Mav and at the Mav and sold that place out. And by all accounts, it was an amazing show. Then the you know the UFC comes to Vivint Arena. Usman gets kicked in the face with 20 seconds to go. I mean, it was an unbelievable night. Dana White is an absolute entertainment magnet. Y'all feel me? He's a guy that is an operator. He's a guy that is absolutely got relationships that run very deep. I think this tells you the who's and the how's and the what's of Dana White's money-making empire. Mm-hmm. I think the world of that guy. Well, and I think the thing is, you know, the the it, I mean it goes without saying he wouldn't be where he is without the UFC, but I think the thing about the UFC that is different than other sports is that guys like Kamaru Usman can lose at any time. It, 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 and that is what I think is just so entertaining about the UFC. I mean, obviously, every sport has its its rando football game or rando fight or whatever that you don't really care about. Yep. But but when your main event is set up that way and a guy gets knocked out when he was supposed to just win this fight easy, that's the beauty of it, and that's why it thrives everywhere it goes. But here's a question that I would ask. Would the UFC be where it is without Dana White? No, and probably not. Probably I had not. the great fortune of being around the UFC when it was just exploding in 2000 and like three and four when it was really coming on. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was an amazing thing to you have. Drop that mother. Like in Sacramento, we had Chuck Liddell in studio back at the old the sports, Ice Man Sports 1140 KHTK. Right, right. Like, so we had. I mean, it was an amazing thing. And Dana White just continued to build this thing. And I, man, I'm telling you now, the UFC would not be where it is today without 
Dana White. Yeah. I, there's just no doubt in my mind. And the idea that Dana White was able to pull Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski to Las Vegas, not surprising to me at all. Nope. Now, I think the guy is an absolute master. Uh, all right. Let's see what everybody... Gabe Ledley says, Raiders fans are already insufferable. Can you imagine what they'd be like if TB12 and Gronk were on that roster and they had won a Super Bowl? <laughs> and had they won the Super Bowl game? My God. Can okay. you imagine that? I can't even imagine that. No. By the way, I don't think there's any doubt the UFC was an unequivocal success in this town. Yeah, it did well. It did well. I mean, uh, you know, and in ticket sales were a little light in the week leading up, but, you know, the place, as I understand it, was pretty much sold out. And the fight. The main, I mean, the whole but card that's what I'm was. Saying, but that's what I'm saying. This, see, this is why the UFC works, though, because, dude, Kamaru Usman was one of the most dominant fighters the UFC has seen. I mean, this guy was an absolute savage, and he gets dropped. And he in got the kicked way, in the face, man. Yeah, dude. Like the way it happened, like the fact that, yeah, like you said, there were 20 seconds left. Like this fight was over. Yes, this fight was over, and then, dude. You know, rolls up with a face kick, drops him, and next thing you know, he's standing in the post-fight presser with the belt around his shoulder. Like, it's just incredible. Yep, I agree. My Jazz fan says, how in the hell did Dana White work to get this deal done? What affiliation does Dana White have to the NFL Raiders, Tom Brady? Seriously, I highly doubt this. I don't doubt this at all. Dana White just knows people. The UFC has an enormous fan base amongst the elites in this country. And if you look at the crowd that sits ringside, do you think it's an accident that they put, you know, movie stars, rock stars, athletes ringside? That's not an accident. They do that purposefully. I want to say, and I'd have to go back and double check this, but I saw a tweet while the fight was going on about the fact that Darren Williams, Dalton Kincaid, and Brant Keithy were all sitting ringside at that fight. Like, that's the type of person you're getting at these fights yeah totally uh david uh Tervort says don't doubt gruden is just dumb enough to blow up something like that well and, and yeah look, i mean yeah i think as far as dana's concerned what you have to understand is it's not like dana went to you know the raiders front office and was like hey you need to sign these guys that's not that's not how it works no dana is a conduit dana is a a bridge man. Basically, Dana is is gonna say, okay, yeah, I'm good friends with Tom. I and and Tom is best friends with Gronk. So if I can just go to them and say, hey, like, what do you guys think? Like, the Raiders just built this new stadium. It's Vegas. Like, we're exploding. You'd be a huge thing here. You get them to say yes, and then you go to the Raiders and you say, hey, these two guys are interested. Are you interested? He's a conduit. That's what Dana White does. Because think about it. What does Dana White do for a living? Dana White puts fights together for yeah. a living. So when Connor went to, da to Dana and said he wanted to fight Khabib in Russia all those years ago, like Dana tried to make that happen. This is what the guy does for a living, man. Yeah. Uh, MY Jazz fans struggling with this concept. He says, Dana White's sitting around. Tom Brady's a free agent. Let me get involved and close this deal. You think Tom Brady actually listens to Dana White over anyone else begging him to play for them? I think... Bro, this is not... Dude... I, I I think that Dana White has a very good relationship with those guys. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it this isn't, and you got to remember, Jay Glazer and Dana White have a very good relationship. And Jay Glazer and Tom, like, they're in a circle, man. They're yeah, all, it's contact. this is a bunch of, you know, big time dudes that are gazillionaires all hanging <laughs> out talking. It. I mean, the, the incentive for Tom Brady is he grew up a Bay Area fan. 
you got to remember he grew up in the Bay Area. He he was a longtime admirer of the Raiders. Like there there is no there is no question in my mind um, that that kind of thing is 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 going to happen. The like, concept. Listen, the 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 and I, and I understand where you're coming from. I'm, I'm not saying that you're you're fully missing the boat here, but but the point is is that you got to put this into the right concept in your mind. It's not Dana just calling Tom and being like, hey, dude, like, you want to play for the Raiders? No, that's not how this works. No. I mean, you got to understand that these relationships are built over years and decades, and, like, Dana White and Tom Brady, you know, I'm not going to say they go back 20 years, but these guys have been friends for a long time. Yes. So so when Dana, I guarantee you, Dana didn't just call Tom. I would guess, again, this is a guess, a speculation, but just based on experience and knowing how these things usually work, Dana probably lobbed Tom a text and said, hey, would you even give a thought or even a, a a breath of conversation to playing for the Raiders? Is that something that you would even consider? That's probably how it started. And again, like, let's let's play this this bite again from Dana White. Yeah. Because I, I think as we as we talk about this story, and if you haven't heard, over the weekend, Dana White in the lead up to this fight was talking about how he had brokered a deal between Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, and John Gruden, who at the time was still running the Raiders and had full autonomy over the roster. Are we clear on that? He had the last say on personnel moves. So Dana White says this about his dealings with Tom Brady. I worked to put that deal together for Brady and Gronk to come to the Raiders. And it was almost a done deal. And at the last minute, Gruden blew the deal up and said that he didn't want him. And Whoa. all Whoa. hell broke loose, man. It was crazy. And, and, and Brady was already looking at houses and it wasn't being said yet that Gronk was coming. So Las Vegas would have had Brady and Gronk the year that the Bucks won the Super Bowl, except Gruden blew the deal up. And there's so much story that goes along with this behind the scenes. And I, I, I was never going to tell that story till Gronk just said it. Brady was already looking at houses. I wasn't going to tell that story until Gronk already well, and said it. That's the thing that I think adds credibility too. I mean, again, like Gronk brought it up. Dana did not. This it's not like it's not like Dana White's just out, you know, just throwing this out like, hey, look at me. Hey, by the way, yeah, want to see know. it? Yeah, like, no, this is Dana White like being asked about a story and confirming it. Yeah, and why somewhere? And why wouldn't he confirm it? Why wouldn't he confirm it? Like, for my money, this just talks about the the stud that Dana White power, is. dude. Like it is, you know, it is what it is. I just, yeah, I. I this is I it's unbelievable that that deal fell apart. It is unbelievable that that deal fell apart. Jesse P says someone was out to get Gruden. Okay. All right. Uh, Tanner says, I think Gruden was, is still upset about the tuck rule. Absolutely could have been. Um, execution. Can I, Johnson says, man, that sucks. He watched his foot coming to his face. Yeah. That he got, Usman got kicked in the face. The Nye guy says the Utah stampede of the NFL. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, Rance says Brady admitted it was a fumble on ESPN. He did. 
Uh, well, he's wrong, Rance. According to the rule, it was okay. Are we, That's every day. Tanner, are we really going to argue the tuck rule? If you felt these balls. Really? Is that what we're doing? Uh, Jesse P says, everyone knows it was a fumble. Tuck rule was terrible. Riley O'Brien says, morning casuals. Morning, Riley. Saw, dude. All I can say is, Tom Brady, growing up in the Bay Area, being a 49er fan, he would absolutely have put on that Raider uniform. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. There is absolutely, positively no doubt about that. Yes. I, I, it, that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Yes. Okay. Where do you want to go here, Jake? We, we have, need to talk football. Cam wanna, Rising. Let's you want to talk Cam Rising? Yep, let's go. I wanted to talk about the Manti Teo documentary. No, we'll do that in fine. a minute. Let's talk Cam Rising. All right. Porch Pirates, FedEx trucks, or U-Haul trucks, and can and, and the Manti Teo thing. <laughs> <laughs> Cam Rising, then you can talk Manti Teo. Please. Why is Cam Rising not getting more love in the Heisman Trophy? Because he plays at Utah. That's why. Well, you're convinced of this. I'm convinced, and here's here's why I'm convinced of it. Utah is notorious for not being a quarterback school. Not a quarterback factory. Kyle Whittingham-led team. We're going to play defense, and we're going to run the football, and the defense is going to put the offense in a position to win the game. That's how it's always been at Utah. So when I look around nationally, and I start to look at guys like, you know, Bryce Young, you know, CJ Stroud. Stroud, like any of the big-name quarterbacks in, 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 uh, in college football. Okay. All those guys get the run they get because they play at Alabama in Ohio State in quarterback factories, schools that routinely put guys in the league at the quarterback position. Utah does not do that, right? Like, that's just not what they do. And so when I look at the 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 funny part about this Heisman list, Utah last week comes out, was ranked number seven in the country. Everyone was all up in arms about that and said that that was too high of a ranking and Holy cow! How is that even possible? Right. But then, I, but then the number, the quarterback of the number seven seventh ranked team in the country is not on the Heisman watch list. How is that even possible, bro? How is it possible that a guy that had a, a, a teammate die last year that carried his team after his team bet on some quitter quarterback from Texas? How is it uh, possible? Me, noodle, noodle arm quitter quarterback quitter. from Thank Texas? How is it that. even possible that nationally no one knows that story? How is it even possible that Cam Rising is not on the Heisman watch list? Now, I'm not saying the guy's even a front runner to win the Heisman. But what I am saying is that this guy took his team to the Rose Bowl mm. and had a hell of a year. And now he's got a lot to prove. You're going to Gainesville. You're going to Florida. That stadium's already sold out. People are ready for this matchup. I'm telling you, if he balls out in week one and they beat Florida by 10 at Florida... Dude, you're you're there's it would be incredibly disrespectful not to have him on the Heisman watch list. And so that's why I was so surprised. Now, Jaron not being there, totally get it. You play at BYU, BYU early in the season never gets the credit that they deserve. You're gonna have to earn that right. But by week five or six, if BYU is still a zero loss team, you better damn well be assured that he will be on that list. There's no doubt about it. All right, here are some of the names that I think are ridiculous when it comes the all of these names are ranked ahead of ahead of cam rising according to nfl.com mm -hmm. tyler van dyke the quarterback at miami disrespectful okay? but well i don't know if it's I mean, disrespectful if they go on and win 
And if he goes on and, I mean, the guy's got a 20 to 3 touchdown interception ratio, right? Right. But if he throws for 3,500 yards this year and he keeps up, if he throws for 30 touchdowns, okay, I could see Tyler Van Dyke being in that. But he's not won anything. He's not, um, you know, he's not. He didn't go to the road. He doesn't have the profile that Cam has. But this goes back to Miami, the Miami Hurricanes being a better brand than the Utah Utes. Notice what you said there. He didn't say they were a better football team. No, a better brand. A better brand. That's two different things. Yeah, and I think Mario Cristobal being there is a big reason why Tyler mm-hmm. Van Dyke is there and and Cam Rising is not. Right. Uh, number seven, Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma, quarterback. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that Oklahoma is in a better position to succeed than Utah? And I have trouble with that, man. I I have a lot of trouble with that. I have trouble with like, that. Like, you want to talk about disrespectful. Dylan Gabriel being number seven and Cam Rising not being on the list is disrespectable. Yes, yes, yes. Disrespectable. It's disrespectful. There's no doubt about that. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Wide receiver. Ohio. Really the, oh, excuse me. The Ohio State. Dude. He's a stud. But he's a wide receiver, not a quarterback. Dude. Exactly. And nothing to take away from him, but you're a wide receiver, not a quarterback. And CJ Stroud, your quarterback is, is arguably the number one option for the Heisman trophy this year. Donnie, please. Come on guy. Come on. Like that's crazy. Willie Anderson, the, the defensive end at Alabama. So wait, we're putting defensive ends ahead of cam rising. Yeah. 17 and a half sacks, 35 tackles. It's really despicable. Come on. Shocking. Bijan Robinson, the running back at Texas. Can kind of understand it, but not really. Okay, so we had a lot we got a lot of heat on this comment last week when I said that Texas wasn't I said Texas was going to be good, but they're not currently relevant. Yeah. Am I wrong about that? I mean, I, I think that Texas is always relevant to an extent. I, I think that when Texas Again, like when Texas is is doing Texas and they're playing in big games, yeah, they're relevant, sure. But nationally speaking, Texas hasn't even been in the conversation for the college football playoff. Utah has been way more relevant than Texas has been in the last five years. Are you kidding? Like I, this, and this is what I struggle with. We're well, we're not putting Cam Rising on the Heisman Trophy contender list or watch list rather. Even though his squad that he led through adversity and through difficult, dark times, like you got to the Rose Bowl. That is that is a big feat in college football. And I understand, hey, you lost to Ohio State. Totally get it. Cam got hurt, so he doesn't get the benefit of throwing for three or 400 yards in the Rose Bowl. I get it. But I'm just saying, we're sitting here talking about defensive ends and running backs and wide receivers, skill position guys, not quarterbacks, being ahead of Cam Rising. Well, I also think there's this conversation about big schools, big brands in the Heisman Trophy. Um, And let's see, somebody said that. Um, About big-name colleges are the only ones that win Heisman Trophies. Yeah. There's some credence in that. Here are the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Bryce Young, Alabama. Roll Tide. Devontae Smith, Alabama. Roll Tide. Joe Burrow, 
LSU. Go Tigers. Uh, verticality, Kyler, Kyler Murray from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma. Then after that, it's Lamar Jackson from Louisville. Okay. So far and away the best offensive player. So you get it. Derrick Henry, Alabama. This is Coach Saban. Uh, Marcus Mariota, Oregon. Jameis Winston, Florida State. Johnny Manziel, who, by the way, speaking Bruh. of Manti Teo, Manti Teo should have won it. But Johnny, Man- Johnny Manziel won it. Robert Griffin III from Baylor. And then again, it's Cam New- Scam Newton, excuse me. Scam Newton. From Auburn. <laughs> Mark Ingram from Alabama. This is Coach Saban. Sam Bradford, Oklahoma. Tim Tim Tebow from Florida. Mm-hmm. Troy Smith, Ohio State. Lot Matt Leiter, USC. Lot of SEC. Lot of SEC. Lot of big name. Lot of big brand colleges. So in you there. see what I mean. You you see what I'm getting at here. Utah is not a powerhouse of a national brand. That's the problem here. And when we talk about, and again, we ain't got time to go down this rabbit hole today, but I think it's really important to point out when you talk about no NIL work at Utah. When you talk about well really poor branding at Utah, when you talk about the running Utes not being good, when you talk about the football program not getting the credit it deserves. But like, look at Caleb Williams. It, he's number three on this NFL watch list yeah, for the Heisman. Yeah. Caleb Williams transfer to USC. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that Caleb Williams. But it's not just that Caleb Williams transfers, that Lincoln is there. Yeah, Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. By the way, who was the head coach of all those Heisman Trophy guys from, from Oklahoma? Lincoln Riley. Yep. Kurt Meyer says, do you really think we're getting a Heisman out of a conference that is not the Big Ten or the SEC? The, the con- no, the conference doesn't matter, dude. The, the conference plays no role, in my opinion, in, in Heisman watch listing. What, but what, what plays a role is they're on TV. Yes, that's what plays a role. Sure, yeah. And I, I, I think, think it's numbers, a huge problem for Cam Rising. Numbers and exposure is what the Heisman is about. It, and, it, yeah. and I think a, a lot. this is a lot of why Jaron Hall has a better chance to win the Heisman than Cam Rising does. Yeah, and and while and a lot of people are say, well, how is that even possible if, if Jaron's not even on the list? Well, because he plays at BYU. They've got a tough schedule. And 11-0 at BYU is a lot different than 11-0 at Utah. It I think is. it's a lot different. It's a lot different. I think it's a lot different. Yeah. So I don't disagree with that. Um, K Nuren says QBs go to BYU, not Utah. Can't, I agree. Can't, can't and, disagree and that's with what that. I mean. Utah is a running back, defensive back, you know, powerhouse. That's where if you're a running back or a defensive back, you're going to Utah. If you're a quarterback, you're going to BYU or probably you're going to Oklahoma, frankly. All jokes aside, like if you're a quarterback and you want to get to the league, you're going to Alabama, Ohio State, or Oklahoma. Those are your three. Surefire, well, no I, doubt about I, it. But wins. I think USC puts quarterbacks in the NFL. Not I, good I, ones. I, I mean, not well, good ones. But it doesn't matter if it's a good one. I mean, they're, Caleb Williams is going to the NFL not because he played at Oklahoma, because he he's going to be a USC alum. I mean, it doesn't matter to me if you're good or not. Yeah. I mean, USC then puts maybe you. Maybe gets a league. Gets a league. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, think, I think a lot more. My my thing with that is just that Oklahoma guys tend to get their extensions. Like Kyler Murray got his extension. Like these guys that come out of. You know, Oklahoma and the like Trevor Lawrence is probably going to get an extension now, assuming he has a good year. Darnold got traded. Darnold got dis- traded. I don't disagree you know, with that. Like, it, so it's just anyway, the point is, is that my whole thing was with this topic, the reason I wanted to talk about it is I just felt like Cam was getting a lot of disrespect. And I know that a lot of people think that we're just a BYU I think Cam is and, getting a lot of disrespect. You know, we only talk about BYU. Well, I'm here to tell you, I thought this was incredibly disrespectful to not only Cam Rising, but to the program. I mean, it should it should but, be a shot over the bow. But listen, I also think I also think that there's no reason to believe that Cam Rising can't win the Heisman Trophy. Agreed. I mean, you're 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 
I mean, arguably, I guess. I think Utah's the best team in the conference. <clears throat> I think USC is a very good team. I think USC's, you know. Dangerous. As, USC is dangerous. I would agree. I think Utah's the the better team. Yeah. And I think we're going to find out on the field at, at you know, in October. That, you know, I mean, when when the Trojans roll in the rice eccles, you better be ready to go. Yeah. Because um, if he loses that game, he's not winning the Heisman. Agreed. But again, again, I just look across the landscape and I look across the names. Ohio State's on TV. Alabama's on TV. And I think when you look at Notre Dame's or uh, Notre uh, Dame's BYU on is TV. on TV. BYU's on TV. You look at all these guys that are on this list. All these guys play on TV. Yeah. You know, and and there's a reason that Ohio State's got two guys on this list. There's a reason that Alabama's got two guys on this list. They also recruit really well and they develop talent. I do think reputationally these preseason Heisman watch lists are a lot of fluff and a lot of hey he goes he plays at Alabama. He, he, there's a lot to that. So my feeling is is that Cam Rising's had a very long steep road to win. Yeah. But there's no reason if he handles his business on the field and he doesn't turn the ball over, because if he doesn't turn the ball over, Utah's going to win. They're yep. going to win games. Yep. He's got a phenomenal running back. He's got what I think is going to be a really good offensive line. The defense at Utah is always without question. Does he have a, a wide receiver who can put highlight tape on Sports Center? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. Because they're going to run the ball really well, and Cam's going to look good throwing it. Does he have a wide? Because, look, with all due respect to Keithy and Kincaid, those are two really good pass catchers. You need somebody, you know, you need Vele to break out and have a huge year. Yeah, tight it, ends can't thrive without good wide receiver play. It just is what it is. It is it is that simple. Uh, a couple more on this. Let's see. Uh, as as a BYU fan, this was disrespectful. Rising is a Heisman candidate. It is. It is, yeah. That's what, that. that's what I mean. I mean, he just to me, it's just a, a no-brainer. But, again, we're here in Utah. We see the guy. We know the culture. We follow the program. Like, nationally, I don't think people do. Yep. K. Nuren says, be sure to hit that thumbs up. Yeah, please give us a thumbs up. It really helps the channel grow. I should. You know, Rodney the other day was DMing me, telling me that I should tell people, you know, hey, you got to do that. It's part of the game. Tell people to hit like. You're right. Please hey give us a thumbs up. It really helps the channel grow. Hook it up. Subscribe. Hit the like button. Yeah, turn by on the way, notifications. By the way, we're just short of 7,000 subscribers. Yeah, so get the job channel. done. Tell all your friends. If you guys could, uh, you know, get your mom to subscribe, that'd be great. Yeah. We are 76 subscribers short. 69.24. Yeah, come on. Let's go. Of 7,000. I want it. We are right. Can we get to 10,000 before the end of the year? I think so. Yeah, it would be great. Tenth, that's only that's only three thousand subs. Yeah, we're doing about a thousand subs a month right now. Three thousand seventy six yeah. subs. Yeah. So, so we really should be able to get there. Yeah, give us a thumbs up, please subscribe. Let's go. Uh, really helps the channel grow. Uh, Josh Lovering getting crazy this morning says again. Gardner Minshew finished fifth in the Heisman voting <laughs> in Pullman. Minshew, <laughs> his mustache finished fifth. Let's get that right. Uh, he says Cam can end the year finishing top five in Heisman. He can win it. He said it's Pullman, and they only play uh, on Pac-12 Network. LOL. That's very true. I think I I legitimately believe that Cam has a ch chance to win it, but they got they have to be a one loss team. You got to be a one loss team. You got to beat SC. You got it. Like you got to beat these teams. Because I think Ohio State's vulnerable. I mean, they didn't show any ability to stop anybody last year, mm -hmm. as witnessed in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, but they gave up a lot of yards late. I mean, if you Alabama, I I don't see a weakness in Alabama this year. I mean. No, this is the best Alabama team you've seen in probably the last five years or so. 
I would agree with that. Yeah. Alabama's always very good, and people yeah, are man. blowing up my phone right now. But Are they in vanishing um, mode? They are in vanishing they are mode. not in vanishing mode. This is Coach Saban. You know, um, you know I, I just think that Bryce Young is a hell of a quarterback. I think defensively they're going to get after the quarterback's ass at Alabama as well. Yeah. Um, they always have athletes outside. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think the hard part is is that Bryce Young won the award last year. Mm -hmm. So they and, don't they, yeah. They don't like giving it to a guy back to back years. Well. That's very, very rare. Archie Griffin comes to mind. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Uh M. Morris says, uh, you start pumping BYU, you'll be at ten K quick. Well, I mean, we talk about what's relevant. BYU is yeah. pretty relevant. Yeah. You know. Is what it is. Is Manti Teo relevant? Am I finally allowed? Yes, to, you can. Let's. I want. I want to hear your bit on Manti Teo. Manti so let's Teo. talk about this. Um. So before the Netflix thing last night, how did you remember Manti Teo before oh, you watched it? it? I mean, the scandal. I, I absolutely, and it's still how I remember Manti Teo. Um. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. I think most people who watch this show know that. I mean, you can see uh, right over my left, right, that's a Notre Dame mirror logo thing. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. Um, and watching the Manti Teo documentary about this fake girlfriend and he got catfished, and the one thing that really stood out to me about that was this ruined Manti Teo's life. Like, this ruined his life. And it is remarkable. If you have not seen the Manti Teo documentary on Netflix, you have to go watch it. It is incredible. And I knew of this story, obviously. I followed it very closely. But it's incredible, the detail about it. Mm -hmm. It's incredible the way that this was pulled off. And I, I just feel awful for Manti. It ruined his entire life. They tested by almost no fault of his own. Mm -hmm. Almost no fault of his own. And the the maneuvering that this person, whose name I will not say, that this person did to pull this off is incredible. And watching it on tape, watching that documentary, like it really impacted me. It's weird. Like, you know, how you watch something or you watch a movie or a TV show and you're like, damn, that got me. Final. Like I was emotional after this thing was done. Like I thought about it all night long. Where are we all night in long. society today? Seriously, all night long laying in bed. I thought about this documentary. Mm -hmm. And it really just played havoc with my brain. Like just thinking about everything that Manti Teo went through and thinking about just how reckless and useless and unnecessary this whole thing with Manti Teo was. Facts. I, I, it's just, it's hurtful almost like, and I don't know Manti Teo at all. Like he's just a dude. It cost him millions and millions and millions of dollars. He's very relatable though. It, yeah. It likely, yeah. It likely cost him his career. It likely cost him endorsement dollars for no reason other than a, a, an odd attraction from a distance. And I just, I, I don't know. I don't know why we do this to each other. Mm -hmm. Like it, that's where my mind was at on it. The Manti Teo story. I mean, that year, that is one of my fondest memories back to, 
back to Michigan, Notre Dame, back to, you know, like all of, you know, the Lou Holtz era, like all of that stuff. Like I love Notre Dame football. That year, what was that? 2009, I guess. Yeah. Where he just absolutely, I mean, the guy was an absolute stud. Or I guess 2012. 2012 it would have been. Yes. He was the god of death on the football field. Manti Teo was an absolute stud. Don't you know who I am? And then he gets to the Chargers after he goes through all of that. Falls out of the first round. Millions of dollars. Gets drafted and ends up in San Diego. You're so fucked. And freely admits he couldn't play football. He's like, mentally, I just like... He goes on to tell the story about how his whole body was numb and that he was questioning his existence. And he's just, he stops just short of saying he thought about suicide. Yeah. All of this for a game. All of this so that this person could feel better about themselves. All of this so this person could feel gratified. It cost Manti Teo his entire existence. Yep. And it's just, it's crushing, man. Yeah. Like, I guess that's the best way that I can put it. It, It's crushing. This guy is forever known now by this fake girlfriend that he had nothing to do with. Instead of being a model human and an elite football player, which is what he was until this whole thing happened. And this person is just, in, this person who pulled off this and I, and thing, I, it, they're just incredibly selfish. And it needs to be said, a couple of things that I that I think are really interesting conversation points, and, and go and watch go and watch it, it's truly incredible, but a couple of things. Number one, the fact that nobody knew the term catfishing. Catfishing didn't exist no. when this all happened to Manti Teo, number one. Number two, I think the way that the media... So the way it got rolled out, and I'm not going to explain that, go and watch it, but the way it got rolled out, the way it was, the story was initially released, and then how quickly it took off, and and just how just how deep uh, the media came down on Manti Teo was, was truly incredible. And I think that that's ultimately what, what got to Manti, is that, is that the media basically took him from this model human, you know, uh, like man of faith, football player, you know, Polynesian guy, Hawaii guy to, to, oh, this guy's a fake. This guy's a liar. This guy, you know, essentially created this narrative about some dead girlfriend who died of leukemia that never actually existed. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And so it started kind of sparking this conversation around, well, now we know what catfishing is. Now we know what to look for and what the red flags are and what the signs are. And it still happens every single day. You have a show on MTV about catfishing. That's how much it happens. So that's why I just think for Manti, he was just dealt uh, truly a, a crappy deck of cards, if you will. I mean, it just it was an unwinnable situation. <sighs> yeah, and it's 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 really sad. Like, to see the pain that his family suffered through this. Yeah. And I and think the- in, their, in their culture, that's the thing. In their culture... The, the representing your family thing was big. Well, you have to remember that Manti Teo grew up in the LDS church. Manti Teo grew up a devout Mormon. Manti Teo grew up, you know, in a Polynesian family that was about football. Manti Teo's entire childhood was structured for him to be a great human being and a great football player. Mm-hmm. 
And his, he, his, you know, the points he made about, I wanted to go to USC. I wanted to go to USC. I was ready to commit to USC. And then I was asked, well, do you want to be the next great Polynesian football player at USC? Or do you want to go to Notre Dame and become something special on your own to be the only Manti Teo? God bless. And he's like, yeah, I gave up my dream of going to USC to go to South Bend, Indiana in the middle of the winter, and I was miserable. And it's just, I mean, it just hits you like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think because it's Notre Dame, I was a lot more emotional about it than I probably should have been. But I, that was really an emotional thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't even... I just can't eat. I mean, it, it was really. Yeah, like put I, you in a weird space. It did. It it wrecked my mood last night. Like I thought about this. Like I was dreaming about who the people in my life are that were lying to me. And I, I had dreams about telling people, hey, man, I've seen the Manti Teo documentary. <laughs> like that was in my dream. <laughs> it was weird. Like me and late night P guy got up and had a conversation about it for a few minutes last night. Right. And then I went right back to sleep and was dreaming about it again. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, the other thing about the Manti Teo uh, documentary that was so fascinating, he talked about imposter syndrome mm-hmm. in the documentary. And if you don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's Manti Teo, a dominant high school linebacker, a dominant college linebacker. He gets to the NFL after going through all of this struggle. And he's like, I was standing there on the field. I couldn't feel my body. And I was, I was asking myself, like, hey, are, are, you, are you getting exposed that you're not really a good football player? Like, are, are, are people going to find out that you're a terrible football player? And it's that whole thing, and it's so true. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so real. You know, like, hey, am I actually, you know, this guy? Am I actually? And he talked about it when he got to Notre Dame as well, and his first snap at Notre Dame on the field in a game was a bone-crushing hit. Like, he rocked a dude. And he's like, I never questioned myself as a football player again until he got to the San Diego Chargers. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy, man. Like, I, I just. Yeah, man. Do you, Have you ever been catfished? No, I haven't been catfished at all. No. Do you? But I also haven't. I Again, I never really operated in that space. I never, like, I wasn't, like, I feel like catfishing really happens a lot for, for people who spend a ton of time you know, on Facebook or like online constantly or in, and, and I get it with Manti, it was kind of a different thing, sort of a unique situation. But, but I feel like with a lot of these catfishing stories, it's people who are just kind of chilling online and just doing whatever they want. And, you know, they run into something and next thing you know, you're sending thousands of dollars to a person you've never met. And so for me, it, that just never, I, I never found myself in that position because I wasn't, uh, I, that just wasn't me. I wasn't that person. Yeah. Uh, M. Morris says, BYU fans remember him by his choice of Notre Dame over BYU. Well, Notre Dame... <sighs> BYU was never in it. Notre Dame was in it just because I think there was, you know, faith there. But, and it's Notre Dame. But he was going to USC the whole way mm-hmm. until, you know, that happened. Yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean? Like, geez. Um, Kurt, why would you say that? No bots. We're, what's going on? We have to we have to liven up this program. <laughs> well, we're talking about catfishing now, so that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Kanai Johnson says you have to when um, you have to win games to win the Heisman. That's very true. You do. Yes, absolutely, you do. 
Um, let's see. Uh, Tanner Plummer says, I'm going to watch that documentary later today. You should. Uh, Cal says it didn't ruin his life. It dented his NFL life. He's still a class guy. He's got a lot to look forward to. Let's not get carried away with it ruining his life. It ruined his life. Yeah, dude. He talked about it. Did you watch the documentary? It man? absolutely yeah, I mean, destroyed it, his life. It didn't yeah. ruin his life. It destroyed who he was, his existence. It destroyed his relationship with his family. Um, it destroyed his relationship with his dad. They've have they've had to work hard to rebuild their relationship. In the in, do you guys understand? That when this whole fake girl thing came out on Deadspin, people were like, oh, yeah, he's gay. Oh, Manti Teo's gay. Oh, his girlfriend's fake. He's gay. Do you understand what that does in the Polynesian community? At that time? Do you understand what that does in the LDS church? Like, I mean, it, it, that's not something that we, we, and I said this to you guys, my, to Mrs. Monty and Jake last night when we were watching this, like, it's not funny, man. Like, it's not funny to joke about somebody being gay. Like, it's not yeah. funny to, you know, oh, I catfished that guy. <laughs> like, it it destroyed this man's life. It ended his football career as we knew it. Yeah. He he is he has not been the same football player. Like, his career, do you know the difference between being a top 10 first-round pick in the NFL and being the 38th overall pick in the draft? Well, it's not even the money. Like, the money that he lost, but... The position you land in, the team you land on, the, I mean, are you serious? Like it absolutely, it, it absolutely, and it, the sad thing is it will define his life forever mm -hmm. because you know what else is terrible about this? Look how long it's taken for people to be like, oh, Manti Teo didn't make up a girlfriend to hide that he was gay. Do you know how many people up until this documentary came out thought Manti Teo was gay? Like I, from my USC friends, I have a ton of USC friends. Do you know how many people talk to me about Manti Teo's fake dead girlfriend that he made up because he couldn't handle the pressure of playing at Notre Dame? It had nothing to do with it. It had not, he loved the pressure of playing at Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really unfortunate. It really is. It's really unfortunate. Uh, where do you get it? It's on Netflix, by the way. Yeah. Uh, brother, brother says, I really don't even watch uh, between documentaries in Netflix, but I heard this guy's a legend, so I give a respect to him and his career. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, let's see. Boy, there's a lot of comments on this. Uh, NY Jazz fan says, I haven't watched it yet on the list, but can't help but feel bad for Manti Teo. Completely senseless acts. Upon other people that a human beings do, that wrecked Teo. No wonder people don't trust each other. Yep. Seriously. Yep. Like it, Manti Teo is not gay. Manti Teo did not make up a fake girlfriend. Like it never happened. This all happened. spawned because he was trying to help somebody. Yeah. I, I just, I think it's really unfortunate that this whole, there's no way to get around it. Yeah. There's it no way to get around it. You know, like it just is, it's so frustrating. It is so frustrating that this happened to that guy. Like, anyway, Tanner says, is Manti still in the NFL? Last I checked, he was on the Saints. He is not. He's a free agent. He is He is a free agent. Uh, Giggity says, not only did it destroy his life, it also destroyed his ability to build generational wealth. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. Yes, it did. Which you really know, like, matters. And, well, it matters for everybody, obviously. But Yeah, yeah. and I, I think, Giggity, you're exactly right. Like, it, it, it I, the pride and the... For better or for worse, pride and masculinity in the Polynesian community are are massive. And it, I mean, that to have people telling you your son is gay 
for you to believe that your son is gay in the Polynesian community in this particular family. Yeah. It just was so damaging. Rightly or wrongly. It's just incredibly damaging. Like it's it's insane. So how common do you think catfishing is? Very common. I think it happens all the time. I think that, you know, Facebook is the one that is the guilty party here. You know, I think we see see we obviously see it go on on Instagram as well. But I think the problem is that catfishing is born uh, out of this whole situation we have with cell phones. Like the problem is that people don't meet in person to date anymore. You know, and, and I think the. The time we're not allowed to talk about because YouTube hates us talking about it um, really exacerbated this problem. But people don't date in person anymore initially. Like you don't go to, you know, that bar, or that place or like, you know, the, you, it used to be like for your generation, there was a spot you'd go to, you know, like a common social spot where you could potentially meet someone. That's not how it works anymore. It's it's dating apps. It's cell phones. That's how the dating game works now. And so when you are you know, respectfully when you don't like yourself a lot or you're trying to create some sort of persona or, you know, because in this documentary, you know, the person that we're not going to name talked all about how, you know, the world she was living in in reality wasn't the world that, that you know, she was creating outside of it. So she her life was a lot different than the person she was catfishing Manti with. And I think that's the problem. We have this whole thing where we think we can just create another reality by creating online profiles and talking all about how, hey, like once we got to the point where we would meet, I would just block them and stop talking to them. Like that's, so it's almost like a drug. It's almost like an addiction. That is the problem that, that I see with it. So I think it's very common. I think it's commonplace. I think it's it's a staple in our communities and our culture. And I think it's something you have to watch out for. Did you ever worry about it when you were dating? Because you you'd used a lot of the hinges, the matches, like, yeah. did you worry about, did you worry about getting catfished when you were dating? I mean, I wouldn't say I worried about it. I would just say that I was pretty cold blooded about the whole process. I, I was somebody that didn't give the benefit of the doubt. I asked a lot of questions. I, you know, I had no problem. Like when I did meet someone, I had no problem asking them serious questions about their past or like, you know, what they do for a living and like how that impacts them and what their life is like. Like I had no problem asking all those questions. I just didn't. And I think that's what you have to do to get a read on people, you know, when you meet them in person. Because if you don't do yes. that and you just have like, you know, surface level casual conversation, you you don't get the stuff that you need to decide whether to keep going or not. Yeah, I think that it is really, I think it's, per, is pervasive the word? It, it, I, I don't know. I just think commonplace is the way I like to verbalize it. It, it is happening every day, hundreds of times a day. It, like it just is yeah but how much did you trust how much did you trust women when you dated because now you've been in a relationship for six months like yeah i mean we're you know the relationship i'm in now is in a good place but when i was dating i would say that that you know um when i was dating i think one of the one of the things that i dealt with a lot was the fact that that i didn't trust that i did not um that I was not about, you know, just letting these people tell me whatever it was. Like I said, I'm, I asked a lot of, like, I had no problem asking people like, Hey, well, like, what's your, you know, what, what's your relationship like with your family? What are you, are you, you know, close with them, distant with them? Like, are you like I was and again, I know we have a lot of folks here that are LDS and I don't mean this in any type of way. 
I was not looking to date someone who was LDS because I don't share those values. That's not part of my life. I'm not from Utah. That's just not like how I grew up. So I was never, I, I just, I guess I just never thought it would be a successful way to spend time, you know, dating people who were LDS. So that was one of the first things I would, oh, I would, I wouldn't even ask people. One of my first things I would always tell people is, Hey, I'm not LDS. So if that's a problem, just go ahead and tell me now and we can move on. Like literally that would be one of my first messages to people. And incredibly, so surprisingly, that weeded a bunch of people out. Incredibly. Yes, it did. A lot of people were like, oh, okay, cool, no problem. And I was just on to the next person. So I was, my whole thing was, I just want to root all these people out. I just want to get rid of all the people that are not even, not even in my world, not even a chance with me. And then I got down to the people who I at least was willing to go and meet. It's so painful to watch it. Yeah. Like it's, it, and the catfishing thing's real, I think. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I I've been married for twenty something years. Like, mm -hmm. well, and that's what I think Mrs. the conversation oh, is. Look, there she is. Oh, hello, Hi. hello, hello, Mrs. Monty. But that's what I think the conversation is. The contrast of when all this happened to Manti to where mm -hmm. we are now, culturally, technology speaking, speaking or yeah, like culturally, culturally, to, from a technology standpoint with smartphones, it's totally changed, and that's why I think that it's just different now, for sure. Yeah, it is. I think we had a lot more trust when uh, when Monty and I met. Um, it was on AOL Messenger, as ridiculous as that sounds. Yeah. But, you know, th there was a certain element of trust um, building up that relationship up until the point where we actually met face to face. And it's just totally different now. Um, I'm sure there were people who were catfishes back then. It's just not a term that anyone knew. It was not as easy to uh, to do because Facebook changed that. But isn't that what we've become in society? Like we've become the society that's now comfortable with catfishing. It's just a term. It's a TV. It's show. just like a. It's it's just like you have to look out for certain dangers in the world. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Like it's just a thing you look out for. Yeah, yeah. I I don't and, know, man. And we saw it with a um, a close family friend who's a little bit older, whose wife had passed, went out to start dating. Yes, first thing catfished fell head over heels with this woman who you know did all the right things up until she asked for money <clears throat> and and then you know it became apparent that it was a lie yeah you know i i just don't know you just can't take people at their word anymore in the world like i know that that's a crappy thing to say but we're past that now. Like yeah. the world we live in, it's no longer acceptable just to take someone at their word. No. You have to. No. You have to ask secondary questions. You have to vet them. You like, and that's why I think like yep. for for all of you listening that have kids and stuff, like dating is not a game. Dating is not. It, dating is no longer just some mercurial thing where you're like, oh yeah, like she, like my daughter or my son, just gonna go and date and it's gonna be fine. No, that's not how it works anymore. the The smartphone has changed things, and, and if you're not in line with that if you don't understand why it's changed things i would highly recommend reading about it and educating yourself yep i agree all right let's get some of your uh comments in here uh tanner says jake you shouldn't have have no surprised latter-day saints keep to themselves when it comes to dating oh contrary no that's just not <laughs> oh, true contraire. it's not true and, and and what i would tell you is my experience was that a lot of people are LDS, and no one's going to like me saying this. A lot of people say they're LDS, but a lot of people don't live the LDS values, even no. though they go to church. And that's what I saw a lot. 
on the dating apps. And that was a big red flag to me. You're saying you're LDS, you're in that culture, but you're not strong enough as a person to say, hey, I don't want to live those values, right? I'm only doing it because my circle's doing it or like, I had like, this is my how I was brought up. My, my family, family does it. Like yeah. if you don't, if, if in, in religion is a big thing in the state of Utah, obviously. And I'm not trying to have a conversation about whether the LDS faith is good or bad or that's not the conversation I'm having. I'm just simply saying when I was dating, if someone said to me, well, I am LDS, but just cause you're not LDS, you know, that, that, you know, that's not an issue. I'm okay with that. That immediately stood out to me. Cause I know for a fact that people in the LDS faith are looking to marry, ultimately marry people of the LDS faith. I know that that's how it works for any serious, devout LDS person. So that's why I say when that stands out, like well, when they say that, that's a red flag. But I think the other thing that's so important to mention is that do you really want to date somebody who's, who says they're LDS but isn't serious about no, their faith? No, that's what I'm saying. It's like a, that it's questions a character your character. Yeah. yeah, it's a character issue. Yeah. Uh, Strange Cloud says, is uh, Mrs. Monty Jake's mom? Well, that would be a good question for you, Mrs. Monty. Uh, I, I am not his birth mother. Biological. I'm not your, your biological mother, but... Um, we've, Jake has lived with us, uh, since he was 14 and I first met Jake when he was six. Something like that. Yeah. I want to say six. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, the answer is no, she's not. No. Cause everybody, it, 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 it's awkward. You're talking about dating with your mom. Why, why would that, that be awkward? Why is that awkward? Bro? It wouldn't like, matter what do you, what do you mean, if bro? he had like, I think these are the important conversations you have to have why with do your we, kids. Dude, why do we always go to it's awkward? What's more awkward? Talking about dating or talking about how your kid got scammed out of their college tuition? Oh, well, Ouch. Tanner clarified Shut. it. Tanner said, no strange clouds. They kidnapped Jake when he was a baby. We already talked about this. Yeah, yes. We, oh, we, yeah. We, well, we, we took him from a pick quick and, you know, you know, he was just sitting in a shopping cart drinking a juice box. Anyways. Know. Yeah, you had these uh, yeah. adorable pudgy cheeks. I'm just sitting the, in a shopping cart drinking something. The and, catfish you know. thing is, is really wild. And the best thing you can do is date someone that, you, that you've seen in person. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying you can't meet someone, but then you got to, if they're not willing to, to meet you in person, they're out. Yeah. Sorry, well, something's listen, wrong. But, gotta go. But, but, but. If they're like, oh, sorry, sweetie, my my phone's broken. I can't video chat. Congratulations. Oh, I got to work. But that's bullshit. Um, oh, I didn't wash my hair. Oh, oh you, oh, you um, flew down here to see me? I, oh, my um, mom died and my cat lost its arm in a, a yeah. horrible wood chipper no. accident. No. No. There, and and no, please stay off Plenty of Fish. Don't don't set yourself Excuse up. Excuse me, it's POF, please. Plenty no, it's plenty of catfish. Plenty of catfish, because <laughs> yeah. th that is the worst site for catfishes. You know, uh, and I think it just preys on the vulnerability of of religious people. That yes, you know, it's terrible. But anyways, um, let's talk about the real crime. Okay, you want to talk about porch pirates? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow, Mrs. Monty switching gears on us. Um, porch pirates are ravaging. Salt Lake City right now. And what a porch pirate is, is you get a package delivered. And what most porch pirates do is they will follow a, let's say an Amazon truck around. And they will steal the packages the Amazon truck is leaving. It's really despicable. And so what we've seen recently is they're now renting U-Haul trucks. And they are using the U-Haul truck to drive around for two reasons. One, it can hold a lot of packages. But two... 
It's also an anonymous vehicle. So it makes it more difficult to catch them instead of seeing like your 72 Chevelle, you know, or your your Prius or your whatever shitbox you're driving that day. Catch me outside. Um, How about that? The point is right. that it helps them, you know, steal these packages off of porches. Right. So there was a man and a woman, and actually this man and woman were operating down the street from us in a U-Haul. And there's a video going around in our neighborhood of this woman getting out of the U-Haul, running up to the porch, stealing a package, getting back in and driving away. Well, apparently there was, and it's cloudy as to the details, they caught the woman and the guy of the man-woman tandem drove off in the U-Haul and then crashed the truck in Bluffdale and they haven't found him yet. Oh, what a loser! But since they were so successful at porch pirating with a U-Haul truck, there are now copycats out there. And we have experienced this, Mrs. Monty. Yeah. Right. We've actually experienced two times. Um, once was when we lived in Southern California. Weird it's occurrence. It's incredible. Uh, we were all, we happened to get up really early to work out. And no, we're no. All, we were doing P90X. Yeah, P90X in the living room, which was right in the front of our, our house at that point. And we had... Um, our neighbor's driveway was next to our driveway. So like a tiny, you know, like a short little block wall, but we could easily see their cars. It, line of sight was there. We're working out and we heard a noise and we were like, what the hell? And then we looked out, a girl had busted the window on our neighbor's truck, dove in, grabbed the money. He had toll money in his cup holder because he, he drove Loose on the- change. Yeah, grabbed the money got into a car and they sped off. And what happened, we found out later. We and we all ran after him and we're taking pictures and we're getting the license plate I'm number. On your we're ass. calling the cops <laughs> because we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. But they had gone down our entire block and probably not just ours, all the way down, checked car doors. And they stole all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Laptops from the, our neighbor who left his work bag in his truck on his driveway right in front of his house. But they didn't care. They, If your door's open, boom, I got it. So that was the first time. The second time was in Phoenix. And um, I happened to be up really early. It was like 430 I had a stressful job. I didn't sleep well. <laughs> I had a yes, lot of work did. to do. So I got up really early one morning. I sat down at my computer and all of a sudden, and we had a, a Vivint home security system and the panel was right across from my office. All of a sudden the panel lit up and I heard a noise and I was like, what the hell? And and so then I started like, I like I didn't know what exactly what to do. But there was a guy literally stealing the stuff off of our porch. Like just crappy $5 tin plant holder rack thing. Yeah. And a, the driveway is long enough where it makes it a bit risky to do it. You yeah, know, it does. It, like, he it's had to run try. through the garden yeah. to get back. And he truck. almost fell down. Yeah. Like we were watching on the, we watched the replay and he almost fell down getting into his truck. Yeah. So of course me being a gun owner, what did I do? Absolutely nothing. You were in um, bed. I was. You woke me up. I got my I got my nine. Mm -hmm. Tried to find the guy, but like it's this is the worst of the worst. And if he you stole are, stuff down the street too. He stole He'd everybody's gone stuff down the street. Yes, stole the yes. things that he wanted that were further down the street because we lived at the start of a cul-de-sac, and then came and ours was the last house that he he was going to steal stuff from and sped off. 
This Wild. You are a scumbag. If you are stealing off of people's porches, if you are a porch pirate, you're a scumbag. You are, you, you are the Which you, is partially sad. You are the worst of the worst. Because what I have no respect for is when you steal from people who have achieved what you are not able to achieve. And so you take the easy route out. And it doesn't matter to me if you're addicted. It doesn't matter to me if you're homeless. This is this. You're a terrible person. If you are driving around stealing U-Hauls to steal people's packages, you're a shitbag. Mm-hmm. If you are going around stealing things that people need because you don't know what's in that box. Yeah. You know what? You're like you're a you're a terrible person, and there is no I I I don't think there is any effective way to stop this. I don't like my frustration is, and we've talked about this on the show, like FedEx will drop off packages at my back garage door in the alley behind my house. I have no idea they're there. No idea they're there. Cause when we have secure, we have a security system in our house. So if you even walk past our house, you're on camera. So when Amazon or, you know, UPS, you know, the actual humans of the world, right. And the guy, and the problem is at FedEx, and it's a hard job. FedEx is not an easy job. Amazon, UPS, the mail, not an easy job. The guys at FedEx are contractors that drive their own trucks. And so they don't hold the same standard as like the FedEx employee. Y'all feel me? So they just drive through alleys. And we've seen the guy not even get out of his FedEx truck. He just throws the box and keeps going. Well, didn't you talk to him? Or was that UPS? I finally caught him one day, uh, like a week ago on a Saturday or a Sunday. We saw the truck turn into the alley. And and Monty was like, that guy's going to drop off a package. Damn it. So I ran outside. I got him I right before he got out of the truck. And I was like, hey, are you delivering here? <laughs> but I explained to him. I'm like, please don't put the packages here. They get stolen. They get run over by your car. They've been damaged. Don't put them. And the dumbest thing he said was, I don't even know how to get to your front door. Where, where would that be? What do you mean you don't know? It's down. It's guy. It's a hundred yards. It's the front. It's right there. The house. Right it's, on the street. I said you wouldn't even have to turn down. Yeah. The alley. It's not like an apartment complex I can kind of understand because you just have so many buildings and door. Like, okay, cool. This is not complicated to find the front door. It's not. Like at all. No. It's just not. So yeah. anyways. It's frustrating. Uh, what? How do you stop it? I don't know if there's a good I way to you, stop it. Well, no, there is. You have to be vigilant. It, it, it Porch pirates. Is that the terminology? Porch yeah. pirates. Are are just opportunistic thieves. All That's they're doing it. is yeah. All they're doing is going around and saying, "Oh yeah, we would want that, or we would want this." I mean, that's literally what they're. Well, doing. they don't even well, know what it is. Yeah, yeah, they don't know what it is. Uh, our uh, again in Phoenix, our neighbor had a package delivered, and it was like you know, protein powder. <laughs> you know, they stole the protein powder. Whoop, womp, womp. You know, like. I, but like you don't the people know if who it's steal my oatmeal or, or like if it's a, a camera. protein bars or like, but still the, the thing that I hate about it is that when we moved into the neighborhood we live in, we liked that there was, you know, people had, you know, chairs out and they had stuff on their porch and people spent time outside and their, you know, kids leave their bike. It's still there in the morning like it was a a very safe, good feeling neighborhood, and now everybody's got ring cameras, and so all we see all day long, 
are, which is fascinating to me that people, and one of the recent ones was in um, uh, back where the garages are. Some of them are, are face the alleyways and some ding dongs were going through again, checking your door handles. Did you lock your car? And they did it to a Tesla. Like, bro, the Tesla actually knows you're looking. Yeah. <laughs> but also, if you have a, a ring doorbell or a Vivint doorbell, a video doorbell of any kind, and it notifies you that someone is at your front door, look. Yeah. I can't I think stand. Vig- I think vigilance is the key. Yeah. Vigilance, yeah. But it, it's what Jake said, that you have a garage. Park your car in the garage. You have You can't leave your door... Uh, this is why I lock my doors. This is why one of my I, biggest pet peeves in life is people who fill their garage with a bunch of junk and then are pissed off when their car gets broken into. Like maybe all the stuff you put in your garage you don't necessarily need. Like maybe we just have too many things, so maybe we should get rid of a lot of that stuff. But you I know, also like, think you have to be a good neighbor and tell your neighbor when their garage doors open. Yeah. You have to have your porch lights on. You have to and the sad thing is, what else did you say when we were talking about this this morning? Well, good luck if you're if you're somebody with chairs on your porch. The only thing you can put outside are things that you don't mind being stolen. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I said. I mean, I, I I literally think it's part of of getting to a certain level in life. Like there are just some times in life where you have to be okay if someone takes your stuff. I mean, it just, it, I, I honest to God feel like that's what it is right now with these people just driving around taking things, you know? And, and that's, so I say, like, don't put something on your porch that you're going to be heard about. Well, Kurt Myers has some solutions. He says they, they are doing the same thing with mailboxes. The only way you stop it is claymores and bear traps. Saudi stooge. Bear traps. You know. I mean, I. Okay. I, I, I think the claymores might be a claymores, bad idea. I think you could li- wind up in. But just um, make sure the lasers are covering the field that you'd like them to be walking through. Okay. Jesse P says get a PO box, but this is my point. Do I need to go and get a PO no. box so my stuff doesn't get stolen? No. How like that? I should be able to have a package but delivered, it's like, dude. It's as simple as turning your porch light on at night. Yeah. You, that's a deterrent to people. But like, I should be able to have a package delivered with some without some jerk driving up and stealing it. Like, and I know that's utopic and ideal, but, but like is it really? But like 99% of the stuff you get delivered doesn't get stolen. Like, it's very rare that stuff gets stolen. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I it, it is, I think this is the worst of the worst. Strange Cloud said, I had a package stolen off my porch. Amazon replaced it. <coughs> but, which I agree with. And they, they often will. And Amazon's great about that. Amazon's great about that. The problem is you're going to pay more for it down the line because yeah. somebody's going to pay for that loss. And I guarantee you, it's not going to be Amazon. You know, uh, Snuka says, sometimes you have to worry about the delivery drivers themselves. Sometimes not very often. I think being a, an Amazon driver, UPF FedEx, I think is an, a very FedEx has so much volume. Yeah. The stress on those FedEx guys is they ain't got time. I, I think it's really difficult. Yeah. Really, really difficult. Brother says, whoa, Mrs. Monty, do you ever have in porch pirates? I mean, no offense. I've been working hard in every single list. It drives me crazy. What are you talking about? Yeah, but that doesn't I'm make confused. a... Yeah, I'm so well, confused. You got to retype that out, my man. Yeah, you're going to have to say that again. Uh, can can you pick up at Amazon like FedEx and UPS? You cannot. Yeah. Wait. You can? You can go to an Amazon warehouse and pick up your package. They, they drop them at... at- at the drop, oh the lock boxes. the lock boxes yeah they're all over pickup lockers are all over the place if you don't if you live somewhere where you're not going to be able to get your package if it's delivered in the middle of the day 
have it dropped off to one of their drop locations, and then you can pick it up anytime you want. Yep. Uh, let's see. Scammer Trolling says you should watch Mark Robber in the Glitter Bombs from Porch Powers. Oh, yeah, we've seen those. They're fabulous. phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Yeah. I just, yeah, and I feel, I it really, bo- this really bothers me. It, this like really, the Porch Pirate thing, I just have so little respect for people who do that. I understand it, man. Everybody's got needs, but. And you're only selling my junk at like a yard sale. I mean, maybe that's your, it's times are so tough for you that that's what you have to do. But I, I kind of feel like times aren't that tough. Mm-mm. You're doing it because it's easier than having to actually work. Yeah, you're lazy. Yeah. You're lazy. What should the punishment be if they get caught? Because I don't think it should just be the value of the package that was stolen. Like there should be life in jail at splitting no. rocks. No. It's, it's, what do you I mean, mean? No, I don't know that it's life in jail splitting rocks. But there, there definitely is, uh, you know, a, a, a criminal factor. They didn't only steal my things off my porch. They did it to others. They, in California, the, um, the two that actually stole from our street where they got into all the cars, because we had reported it and we had the license plate number, it was actually a rental car, which is, again, the most Shocker. common thing, right? They, they get a rental car because it's harder to trace back. They were staying at a hotel not far from where we were, and the police were able to trace the rental car. The like they the rental car company told them, "Oh, hey, you have to bring it in. We'll swap it out. It's due for maintenance. Something stupid." And um and we're able to trace them to the hotel where they were at, and it was full of stuff. Yeah. Well, and that yeah. Yeah. So it's not just you stole twenty dollars. You're stealing thousands. Yeah. Thousands it, it, it should be the valuation of, of the stuff you stole. Plus 1.5, you know, time and a half plus the value of what you stole. That's what it should be. New York jazz fan says my uncle owns a few zip codes for Amazon in Utah. He said they do have people follow their trucks and are trained to look out for people tailing them. Even so, they have many demands. It's impossible. It is impossible. Yeah. Yeah. That driver, that driver is under so much load to get those packages delivered. I mean, you can't blame them. Fat Jesus says it's only stuff. It's not like they stole your virginity, Jake. I, I, yeah, what? Did a porch pirate steal your virginity? No. You know. Fat. Cody Strickland says, uh, oh, crap, I just woke up and the show is still going. Sup, Monty fam, getting ready to hit the gym. Whoop, whoop. Are we all happy with the casuals getting cut results? Like, we talked about yeah. this earlier, Mrs. Monty. How are you doing? Uh, great. Like, uh, you know, I like that it's motivating. People are still talking. They're still talking about... What did they do to get their steps in or how are they going? And it's just nice to have the support and the motivation, you know? Yeah, it's been, um, and and again, if you're tuning in late, we're doing this, you know, we're doing this because, you know, snowboarding's coming. We're going to Hawaii in two weeks. So we've Hawaii. really been, we're doing this um No one says it thing. like that. Says what? Like well, what? somebody does. Says what, what, what? Anyway. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to Hawaii in two weeks and- uh, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. That's pretty much self-explanatory. We're going to Hawaii in two weeks to celebrate <laughs> Mrs. Monty's birthday. And so we decided we were going to do this casuals getting cut group. And we've lost a good bit of inches. Like, I, I only weigh myself once a week. And I think in the two weeks we've been doing it, I've lost four pounds. Uh, but it's because, you know, I also went to the doctor and he smacked me in the face and said, go play basketball. So I've what the started. What you, Ranger Rick? Yeah, I've started playing pickup <laughs> basketball again, um, which has been great. But. You know, it, it feels good. Like, I, I'm telling you, the carnitine works. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. are not using L-carnitine, 
And again, go pick it up at, at Max Muscle in South Jordan. Use the promo code MONTY15. But if you are not using liquid carnitine, you're crazy. Yeah, it works I great, think man. it works really well. Yeah. Really, really well. But anyway, here nor there. Mrs. Monty, what else do you have to add before the show ends today? Um, Gosh. Scammer Trolling says, um, I'm guessing Mrs. I Monty is turning 29. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Suck up. Yeah. 29. Brown noser. Yeah. Plus 50 years, she's um, turning 29. You know. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kurt Meyer says, I've just been walking and listening. Appreciate that. Um, Kay Nuren says we have a drop box on our porch. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what people are going to have to start going to, man. Yeah. Not a bad idea. Uh, nice haircut, gents. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks. that. Um, scammer trolling says I'm, I'm guessing Mrs. Monty's turning 29. NY jazz fan says casual is getting cut is great. Lifestyle change 11 pounds down. Let's go. Just feeling better all around. Great group and feels great. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Al Carnitine and CLA 1000, my jazz fan says. There you go. There right. you go. All right. All right. Make yeah. sure do you, you even lift. Make sure I do lift. Um, well, Jake doesn't because all he does now is play basketball. Uh, make sure you give us a thumbs up. It really helps the channel grow. Please hit subscribe if you're not subscribed already. We're really trying to get to 7,000 as fast as we can, and we are at 6,926. Whoop, 10 whoop. subs in the last hour. 74 to go to get to 7,000. So... It's all good. We appreciate you guys being here. Don't forget to join us at Barbecue Pit Stop coming up uh, on September 17th. Barbecue Pit Stop in Lehigh. Until then, you can go to any of the five barbecue pit stops in the state of Utah. Layton, Lehigh, Logan, Salt Lake City, and St. George. Fill out an enter to win slip, drop in the box, and you could win a trip or two to see BYU and Notre Dame in Las Vegas for the Shamrock Series. We'll see you September 17th in Lehigh. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Until tomorrow, say goodbye, Jake. Goodbye, Jake.